These are the confidential counsels which Yahuwah gave to Yeshua HaMashiach. Shabbat Shalom from Under the Dome. My name is Noel, and this is the Diaspora of Yashrael. I believe it's our eighth get-together, but don't quote me on that. Now, it's been a controversial decision tonight whether we were going to do a, a video recording or just use our voices, because we are we are in Discord, we're not on YouTube land at the moment, and we can only hold 25 people in a room if we do... Uh, live video, which we're doing right now, and we have uh, made a group decision, or rather, I guess I've made a decision for the group that if somebody arrives late, we're closing the doors, and they will not be able to enter this room and be part of this discussion, uh, which is very biblical, because outside there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And uh, on that note, this is the Diaspora of Yasharel, and we are a community that um, we pursue Torah obedience which is the first five books of the Bible. But we also uphold the testimony of Yehusha HaMashiach. Uh, many people know him as, of course, Jesus. And that, that's appropriate because we're going over the Hebrew book of Revelation. Um, and my theme verse here at the Unexpected Cosmology is Revelation 14.12, which tells us those who the perseverance of the saints and also those who are written in the book of life, also those who Satan is at war with, are those who keep the Father's commands and the testimony of Yahusha. So we aim to do both of that here. We also recognize that salvation comes through Israel alone, through the sons of Israel alone. And uh, in order to be um, uh, a child of Abraham is to be grafted in into Israel. And that's a whole nother discussion. But anyone, everyone is welcome here. And whether you're investigating uh, Torah observance or even the Messiah, Yahusha, everyone is welcome here. So I am joined tonight, um, as I have been the last several weeks, with Rob and Michael. And I think that all three of us are in the same state tonight. So that's really exciting. We have uh, Rob down. We're all three on the Gulf Coast of Florida. I'll give that much information away. And Rob is kind of more central Gulf Coast. And I'm kind of um, along the panhandle and and. Michael is also somewhere on the panhandle, I think. He, last week he was off in the woods in a cabin somewhere, but I think he's somewhere beachside right now. Um, so welcome, everyone. I'm really excited. I'll, I'll say really quickly before I ramble too much. I really am excited to have Rob and Michael with me, and I'm, I, I'm excited for all my administrative staff, and um, I could go down that list. You guys all know who you are. And whenever I've been in this for several years now, and, and whenever I go through some really dark periods and some tough times, Yah is always faithful, and he he brings people alongside me. And and Rob and Michael, they they kind of appeared. They kind of just showed up in my house one day, uh, which was awesome. Uh, but they we just we all three of us think in in very similar accord, and they just kind of came alongside what I was doing in my ministry, and I was just been really excited about that. And so we are going to go over tonight the Hebrew book of revelation now quickly rob michael and i we do not compare notes before this uh we 
we kind of, we all do our own studies and we come in this together. We try not to steal each other's thunder. Sometimes it happens. I'm really excited about the Hebrew book of Revelation because I have said over the last two weeks, and I think I said last week, I think I'm on record saying in episode number seven, that, uh, that the end, I, that the end can't really come until we get the, the Hebrew uh, book of Revelation. I, yeah, um, Yahuwah is revealing so much right now. So many books are coming out, and it's so exciting to be alive right now reading all this stuff. And I, I know that, that John or Yohanan, Yohanan wrote uh, in Hebrew. And anyway, so let's talk about this because um, I, <laughs> uh, I messaged uh, Michael and Rob, I think it was early on the morning on Wednesday, I, I woke up to an email um, and it popped in my email box and said, here you go. Here's the, here's the Hebrew book of Revelation and it is translated, it's completed. And by the way, I, I, I read through it like it was smooth like butter. I got through it in one reading and it was, it's beautifully translated. And we're going to be going over that line by line in this study. Let me pull up here. Let's find out a little bit more about this book. Now, what's great about... Oh, here we go. Now, I had mentioned when we were going through the Hebrew Gospel of John, which we will be completing. We're going we're gonna to go back to that next week, and we're going to tag team between Revelation and John in this group. But I had mentioned that the, the four Hebrew Gospels that have come out, just like um, somebody, um, if someone can mute their microphone, um, who has come into the room, or maybe one of my administrators can help out with that. I had mentioned that the, the four Hebrew Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which have come out very recently, they come from the same place where all the other books are coming out of, which is the Vatican. That includes the Aramaic Targums um, and some of the Midrashes and a lot of the other stuff that we're digging through right now and reading, which is all exciting material, but unfortunately it comes out of the Vatican. The Vatican holds a monopoly on that. But Revelation is different. All right, this does not come from the Vatican. This actually comes from, if I could pull up, because I keep losing my webpage here. This comes from uh, Cambridge University. Now, I had read this, uh, this document from Cambridge University. Cambridge University had like the first two chapters uh, that you could kind of taste read, and they were horribly edited. I mean, it was so, or translated, it was so bad. And, you know, y'all bless whoever did that, but it just wasn't very good. Uh, but now the whole thing has been translated. And Cambridge, uh, they did not get it from the Vatican. Where it comes from, interestingly enough, is a Jewish synagogue in India. Um, hopefully I'll pronounce this correctly. A Jewish synagogue in Kokin, India. Now, the, with this manuscript also comes the books of Acts through Ephesians. That would be, I think that... I think if we're going by official canon, that would include Galatians and First and Second Corinthians. Um, I have repeatedly mentioned that I don't believe that Paul wrote in Hebrew. Now he might have. I could be totally wrong about this, and I'm willing to uh, admit if I'm wrong. But however, the translators of this say that Acts through um, uh, Ephesians, uh, when you actually read them, even though it's in Hebrew documents, that the, uh, it, it appears to have been written in Greek first. That it was written in Greek and translated back into Hebrew. Not so with Revelation. All right, now we're going to be in, just like we have shown with the Gospel of Yochanan, that it was written in Hebrew first and then 
translated into Greek, we will see the same thing with Revelation. There's one more thing before we begin, and I'm going to hand it over to Rob to begin reading chapter one. Is we will, you'll see this for yourselves in um, in the first chapter. But oh, I need to get. I'm sorry, guys. I need to have my notes in front of me here. the The Hebrew book of Revelation technically you can't call it Revelation. We can no longer call it Revelation because the word Revelation never appears. Here is how we're going. This is how everybody knows it's introduced in the Greek. It goes as as follows. I'm going to be reading from the King James here. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Okay? So everyone knows that line. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, this is what it says in the Hebrew. These are the confidential counsels which Yahuwah gave to Yeshua HaMashiach. Um, So the word revelation never appears, and here we see it's called the confidential counsels, which is something very different than a revealing. It is a confidential from the from the from the divine counsel in heaven, given from the Most High Yahuwah to Yahusha. And let me read about this really quickly. Let's see if I could pull it up. All right. So, if this were revelation in Hebrew, the word would be shazon if I'm pronouncing that right, C-H-A-Z-O-N. But that's not what we see. We see the word sadot, which is S-O-D-O-T. And um, that, that uh, and it does not mean revelation, but rather it actually translates confidential counsels or secrets. Secrets of Elohim to Yahusha to the, to the church, which is, that's so awesome. I love it. That being said, we're going to open in prayer, and then I will hand it over to Rob, and we will begin. Our dearest uh, Father in heaven, Yahuwah, the Most High Elohim, we are so grateful uh, that you are revealing these things to us in this late hour, um, these, these, all these hidden texts. We pray that we would be good stewards of them, and um, we, we just recognize that it is, as it says in, in Proverbs, that it is, the, it is your right to conceal a matter, and it is the honor of kings to search them out. Um, we recognize that these are dark days that we live in, but we also know that uh, we only recognize how dark they are because we have seen the light. And um, thank you for um, showing us the light. And we just pray that we would continue to love you and seek you out. And uh, that we would, that you would give us wisdom to know how to, um, use this knowledge in our own lives. So we pray all these things in the name of your son, Yahushua HaMashiach, and the Ruach HaKadosh. Amen. I'm going to hand it over to Rob, and he will begin reading. All right. Thank you, Noel. I uh, want to start with that. I'm going to read chapter one, but before I start, I wanted to mention that the angle or the view I'm coming from on this is as we go through this week, week on week, and through the chapters, I, I'm i going to more or less compile and condense some of this information, because as we know, the this book, uh, Sudot, which is the uh, confidential counsels, you know, these mysteries, these secrets, are written in such a way that it's uh, prophetic and it's pure 
parabolic, so it's or it's in, written as parable. So we have to more or less try to decipher these. What what is it really saying? So I'm going to try to do that each week and pull those things together, discuss these to see what we might find out if there's anything uh, that we may discover that we didn't know before. So I'll start with chapter one uh, with El Hasadot. Chapter one, verse one. I'm going to read all chapter one, and then we'll we'll go over to Michael and Noel in chapter two. These are the confidential counsels which Yahweh gave to Yeshua Hamashiach to show his servants what will happen soon, and he sent them by the hand of his messenger to his servant Yochanan, the witness of the word of Yahuwah and the testimony of Yeshua Hamashiach of that which he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear this prophecy and establish that which is written. Yochanan to the seven elders in Asia, steadfast love and shalom be with you. From him who was and is and will be, and from the seven ruach who are at his throne, and from Yeshua HaMashiach, the faithful witness and the first who stood up from the dead ones, and the ruler and commander over the earth, who is our love and our washing from our iniquities with his blood, and made us kings and priests before Yahuwah, even his father. To him be honor and glory from everlasting and unto everlasting. Amen. Look, he will come with clouds. And those who pierced him, they will see him, and all the families of the earth will weep. Yes, amen. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end, says the mighty Adon, who was and is and will be. I, Yochanan, was on the island called Patmos, because of the word of Yahweh and the testimony of Yeshua HaMashiach. As Ruach HaKodesh rested on me, I heard behind me a great voice. And it said, I am the and the last, and whatever you see, write it in a scroll, and send it to the elders in Asia, both to Ephesus, and also to Smyrna, and to Pergamos, and also to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and also to Philadelphia, and Lady Osea. So I turned about to see the voice which spoke with me. When I had turned around, I saw seven menorahs of gold, and among them one like the appearance of a man, and he was clothed in white garments, and girded over the chest with a girdle of gold. But his head, even his hair, was white like wool and his eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet were like copper, and his voice like the noise of great waters. And seven stars were in his right hand, and out of his mouth went a double-edged sword, and his appearance shone like the sun. And when I saw him, I fell down his feet like a dead one. But he laid his right hand on me, and said to me, Do not fear. I am the first and the last. And look, I was dead, but now I am alive 
from everlasting and unto everlasting. I have the keys of the death and Hagion. Write what you saw and what will be after this. Now, the confidential counsel of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven menorot of gold. So it is the seven stars, they are seven messengers, and the seven menorot are seven elders. That ends chapter one, and I will pass it over to Michael for input commentary, followed by Noel and then myself. Michael, it is your floor. All right, first time on camera, guys. Take it easy on me. Um, so yeah, I was blown away too. Um, first chat, first sentence, confidential counsels. I'll get to that in a second. Um, I wanted to start off with, I saw a stat that there's 285 quotations from and references to the Old Testament in Revelation. Um, I, if someone told me that before I saw that stat, I would have taken the over. Because I've, I've seen studies where every single kind of sentence, you can link it back. But uh, I thought that was cool to start off with, that there's 285 quotations from the Old Testament just in Revelation alone. Um, all right, now let's get going here. So, confidential counsels. So, I'll, I'll read it. Um, These are the confidential counsels which Yahweh gave to Yeshua HaMashiach to show his servants what will happen soon. And he sent them by the hand of his messenger to his servant, Yochanan. Um, so, this, I went down a rabbit hole with this, <laughs> and it turned out to be human error. But I, I was Google searching the confident counsels, and I actually spelt it wrong. <laughs> um, and my, the rabbit hole was I was finding all these Hitler articles on this, and I was like, whoa, what is going on here, guys? A bunch of Nazi stuff on the Nazis about confidential counsels, but I was spelling it C O U N C. I was using C I L S. Um, so then I was, at first I was thinking like, oh my God, is this something, are they trying to mess with us here? Like trying to impl implement it into our word here? Um, cause I know the, the word Holocaust can mean burnt offering, which is in our Torah as well. So that's where I first went. And then it turned out to be user error. And then when I spelled it correctly, I got a lot of normal articles. Um, but that being said, I, I wanted to, I found it. You know, Hebrew Mark actually talks about the confidential councils as well. So I wanted to read that as well. So Hebrew Mark 4.10. And when he, when he was at one side, the Talmudim asked him regarding the proverb. And he said to them, to you, it is given to understand the confidential councils. And I think it's a mystery of the heavenly kingdom, but not to them, except by these likenesses that they may see, but not perceive. And they may hear, but not understand. Um, that's what I have for that first part. I know Noel's going to definitely go more into that, but... It's truly remarkable that in the Hebrew we don't we're not what you shouldn't call it the book of Revelation it's the confidential councils um, the second thing I wanted to talk about is in verse 3 so blessed this is this is a beatitude like this is a beatitude so blessed is he who reads and those who hear this prophecy and establish that which is written so just like in the beatitudes in the synoptics this is the first time I've realized that Revelation or the confidential councils has their own beatitudes and I wanted to read Real quickly all seven. We'll eventually get to them, but real quickly So I read the first one. The second one is blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on 
The next one, blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so, so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. The next one, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. The next one, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The next one, blessed is the one who keeps the word of this prophecy written in the scroll. And the last one, blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. So just a little nugget there that this is the first of, of Beatitudes, blessings, in the book of Revelation. So I thought that was cool. Um, I have two more. I'm going to split this first chapter up. Um, number six, just a simple cross-reference. In, in the Hebrew, and he made his kings and priests before Yahweh, even his father. To him be honor and glory from everlasting and unto everlasting. Amen. You know, I could have gone with the Peter verse, but I just wanted to read in Exodus. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you sh shall speak to the sons of Israel. Again, we will be kings and priests, just like it was planned, you know, in the First Testament. And then finally, and then finally, hold on, uh, can you drop the Beatitudes? Sure, I, I can do that. Yep. And then finally, the last thing I have on this part is number seven. Look, he will come with clouds, and those who pierced him, they will see him, and all the families of the earth will weep. Yes, amen. So, as Noel mentioned last week, I love talking about a possible post-mill worldview, and this is just another one, but, you know, and I'll bring some more up, but I'll also bring some verses up in the, you know, today about, that goes against it. But this will be the first one that goes for it. And, you know, it's, it's simple. It's it's those who pierced them. If you take it literally, it's it's literally those who pierced them when he died 40 years later, roughly, right? Um, so is it 2,000 years later, spiritually, those who pierced them, those who sinned against him, or is it a literal thing, those who pierced them? Um, and I just wanted to finish this off with two cross-references. Um, one thing I noticed is Revelation and Daniel are so, and, and I've already knew this, but more so part of the study was how similar Daniel and Revelation are. So I wanted to read Daniel 7, 13. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. Similar to, and he came upon the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. And I remember in one of the John chapters, we saw that it was the Ancient of Days as well, and we linked it back to Daniel. Um, and then finally, and then I'll give it up to Noel, Zechariah 12, 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of pleading, so that they will look at me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him, like one mourning for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping of a firstborn. I'll end it there. That was a good first start. I have plenty more in chapter one, but I'll hand it off to Noel right now. You're muted happens every week of course so <laughs> thank you for reminding me so yeah you, there was there's there's so much in this first chapter i don't even know where to begin but I, i'll just cover some of the things that michael has already gone over one of those is that the very first well let's just let's just deal with the very first um chapter confidential councils and um i think yes i dropped it into the chat 
And we've been going through the, the Hebrew Gospel of John, and this is the verse that came to mind right here. Because this, like, everything we've so far read in, um, I love that we're going through the Hebrew John and Revelation at the same time, or confidential councils, because they, they just flow so seamlessly together. Like, this is clearly the same writer and the same Yahusha which is kind of like a no-duh, but the same Yahusha as the Gospel of Yohanan. And in there we read the following. Uh, and I'm reading from the, the, the Greek version here, um, the translation into English. Therefore, Yahusha responded and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son is able to do none at all by himself, but only that which he sees the Father doing. Because whatever he does, the Son also likewise does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself does. And greater works than these he is going to show him in order that you marvel. And there's actually, I could probably pull quite a few quotes like that that we've gone over already in the Hebrew Gospel and John. But what he's saying here is that everything that he says, um, he only says it because he heard it first from the Father. Everything that he does, he only does because he first saw the Father doing it. Which it just you know, it just gives me chills thinking of that because he obeyed Torah and he's only obeying. He he never broke Torah. He only obeys Torah because the Father does Torah. It's not just like a Jewish thing. It's like our Father in heaven does it right. So here we see with these confidential councils that the Father is telling the Son Yahushua something, and he's like, "All right, I'm going to share this with you now because he told me I'm only telling you this because he told me and he told me to tell you that." Another couple of things here to go over the, uh, he says that, you know, um, he says, I'm going to show you the things that will happen soon, right? Uh, how, does it, how does it put it in the Greek? Uh, that must shortly come to pass. These are going to quickly happen. And then again, we see in verse uh, 7, just like Michael talked about, look, he will come with clouds and those who pierced him, they will see him and all the families of the earth will weep. So I'm going to drop into the chat here. Um, let's look up some of these um, similar passages. And hopefully BibleBot does not let me down tonight. This comes from Matthew 26, verse 64. And what does it say? And uh, this is, I, I assume, Yahusha speaking to, I think it's the high priest here. This is where he is being uh, tried. And he says, and he said to him, uh, oh, let's see, you have said it. Besides, I say to you. Um, from now on, you shall see the son of Adam sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now let's read the same passage, the same story, I believe in Mark 14, 62 and boom. And Yeshua said, I am, and you shall see the son of Adam sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of the heavens. Now I personally believe that he was telling those priests, the high priests, who were going to put him, who were going to crucify him, you, not some other generation, you will see me coming in the clouds of glory. And there, there's a, that's a whole other study to be had on all the implications of what it means for Yahuwah or the Son to come in the clouds of glory. Uh, that's something I don't believe is really taught in the church. But I'll just leave it at that. That um, when, he's, when, he's, when he's writing this to John, I think he's saying, look, I'm, I'm going to be coming really quickly in a cloud of glory. It's going to happen really quickly. 
All right. And there's one more thing, and there's there's so much to comment on in this section. I just wanted to touch on those because Michael did. And I'll hand it back to Rob. But this is also something that really stuck with me. We were reading, I think it was last week, we were reading through uh, John chapter 11. Uh, and, or it might have been, oh, it was two weeks ago. This was two weeks ago. And we we see Mar- uh, Marta um, approaching Yahusha over the death of her brother Lazarus. And she gives her faith statement there. And she says, I know that he will stand up in the last day, which is at the resurrection. Now, mind you, in the Greek, it does not. It, she doesn't say that he will stand up. She says he will rise again. And people might say, you know, just like, you know, tomato, tomato, right? Um, but then we see, we see uh, Lazarus when he, he, when Yahushua raises him in verse uh, 44 of chapter 11, it says, then he went outside of his tomb and he stood up immediately. So, Mind you here, Marta is saying that at the last day of the resurrection of the dead, she knew he would stand up. And Yahushua's like, oh, okay, that, that's, that's true, but he's going to be standing up today. And he stood up. Well, what do we read in Revelation right here? And this is, this, this is where, it, where I'm showing that it's like seamless between the Gospel of John and Revelation. It's just a continued story. And it says, what does it say it? It's here somewhere, people. I know it is. Oh, here it is. Verse verse 5. And from Yeshua HaMashiach, the faithful witness, and the first who stood up from the dead ones, and the ruler and commander over the earth, who is our love, and our washing from our iniquities and his blood. But I thought that was really cool. He was the first of the dead ones to, to stand up. So, back to you, Rob. All right. Thank you, Noel. Uh, I got kicked out and Michael was on, so I missed out most of what he was saying, but I did hear the beginning. So if I repeat anything, I apologize. Um, I'll start with uh, talking about the first is the the confidential mystery secrets Yahweh gives to Yeshua, which he sent to Yokanan to witness the word and testimony to show his servants what will happen soon. It gives time markers in here as we read, and I'll point them out as I go through this, but those are things we have to consider when when examining this. Uh, I I heard the very beginning about uh, the Beatitudes, and yes, there are uh, at least seven of them in Sadot. So I'm looking forward. I'll, I'll probably drop in the chat at some point all seven of those in a nice little meme format. Already. I got most of that done, but I don't, I'll do that sometime in the future here. Um, what I want to point out is in verse seven, if we look at the Greek on some qualifiers, the Greek is saying, every eye shall see him. But in the Hebrew, it's saying, they will see. It's it's not uh, it's not qualifying every eye as you hear all revelation teachers and uh, people mentioning that every eye will see him as like 
you know, he every eye has to see him. So maybe he's going to be on TV, or maybe uh, you know it's a flatter so everyone can see from above. I mean, you know, those type of things. You know, you have to explain that. But here, it just says they will see him, and he's and he's speaking to. Did we lose Rob? Uh, who? You know. Uh, uh, hey, Rob, we lost it for the last 10 seconds. Is the Greek has some added language. And I'll read that. John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. That None of that is in the Hebrew. And I think that would, it's probably because the translator was putting in the relationship that Yochanan has uh, with these churches and so forth. More of a, um, I mean, it, does, it doesn't, doesn't look like anything nefarious there, but it's just, just some, something that's not in, in the Hebrew. I uh, want to point that out. And then in verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. That the Hebrew, and then I heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet, and that is not in the Hebrew, as a trumpet, you know, uh, describing that sound of the voice. I just thought that was interesting to point out, and then I'll go into the uh, verse 10, the Ruach. Verse 10, the Ruach rested on me and a voice uh, behind me, a great voice. And we were talking about, we were discussing that on the Hebrew. I know Pamela here, and looking at the Hebrew, it is it is pretty clear that the voice that speaks next, it says here, and it said, but when you look at even the translators, they put literally, she said. So that translation should be, and she said, I am the first and the last, and whatever you see, write in the scroll and send it to the elders in Asia, both and goes through all, all of the uh, elders. And and then he and then the next verse says, So I turned around to see the voice which spoke with me, and when I had turned around, he saw the seven more menorah of gold, and among them one of the parents of man. So the the theory or the way I'm seeing this is that hears the voice of the Ruach, and she speaks this. And then he turns around to go see, and he doesn't see her, but he sees the Menorah and, uh, and Yeshua. So just want to point that out, because this is a spot where, it, 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 to me, it, it is it's somewhat clear that the Ruach is speaking. So we always wonder, does the Ruach speak? You know, examples of that, here's, here's one. And as we go through this, I'll point out several, several more uh, that we will see. Then, uh, then we notice in 11, you know, this is being written to the elders. So, so John is writing this information to the elders on a scroll to pass, pass along to them. And what I want to share lastly, which is the main piece, is on 16, we see here, you know, uh, th this whole description from verses 13 to 16. And I want to drop in. Okay, I think we lost Rob. We're having all sorts of technical difficulties in tonight. In the chat, so everyone can see this is... This 
you see Rob, these here. What's that? You've been dropping out a lot. I'll oh. go ahead and continue. Continue. I'm gonna I'll get I'll take off video then. Thank you. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. All right, I, I don't know if I should restart my computer or, or continue, but it, it's I'm having some problems. So I'll try to share this. If I can't share it, then I'll restart and then uh and then come back later. So okay. some internet issues. All right, so All I just right. dropped I just dropped it in chat. It looks like it's there. Okay, good. All right, so what I wanted to point out on verses 13 and 16, this appearance of Yeshua HaMashiach and the symbolization of this. You have the white garments he's clothed in. They represent righteousness. And, and then in other areas, the, the white garments also represent wor the worthy, overcomer, book of life, etc. Uh, and I got the scriptures in there too, just so, just so everyone can see that. And then we have, <clears throat> we have the, uh, the, he's girded over the chest with a girdle of gold. And we know that as the priestly ephod. Uh, in Exodus 28, that example. So he's a priest, obviously, the righteousness of the, the white garments. His head and even his hair was white like white wool. That's purity. We see that in Psalms and Isaiah talking about the white hair. Uh, his eyes like a flame of fire. And we see that in Psalms 11, 4 through 7. He examines the righteous and judges the wicked. His feet were like copper. It pulverizes the tares on the threshing floor. We see that in Micah 4.12-13. Uh, His voice is like the noise of great waters. The frequency power can cause destruction if desired. We see that in Psalms 18.12-16. Seven stars were in his right hand. Those are angels, the righteous, or priests. That's what stars represent. And I got the scriptures there in Enoch 43 and Malachi 2.7. And out of his mouth went a double-edged sword. That, every time you see a, a, a double-edged sword mentioned, is it's all, all having to do with deliverance. Psalm 17, 13, Psalm 149, 4 through 7. And his appearance shone like the sun. That is also just pure righteousness in Malachi 4, 2. So I wanted to put those examples, and I'll, I'll do more of these as we go through this, because... Uh, the the symbolizations in here they all mean something they all represent something and if we can understand what these mean in a better way we get a better picture of what is being said and told to us so that is what i got for now and i'll pass it over to michael and i hope you heard what i had just said thank you yes yeah we heard the last part of that um and the meme and stuff i'll just finish my part with uh, chapter one and i'll have to know um, and you, you mentioned a few of those things. So number nine, I wanted to point out. So I'll read the Greek first. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos. Um, now I'm going to, and I didn't finish it, but I'm going to read the Hebrew. I, Yochanan, was on the island of called Patmos because of the word of Yahweh and the testament of Yeshua HaMashiach. So in the Hebrew, John wasn't in tribulation. So what I mentioned in my previous statement was, you know, I love finding all the post-mill possible verses. And this one, it, you know, it would go against us a little bit, you know, that he wasn't in tribulation, at least in the Hebrew. So I just have to, to remain fair and bring that up as well. Um, number 10, and Rob did mention this, but I, there was also another thing I wanted to say. On, in Greek, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet 
And in the Hebrew, as Ruach HaKadosh rested on me, I heard behind me a great voice. So I wanted to point out, no Lord's Day. So, you know, Christians would say, oh, that's Sunday. You know, John was in the spirit on the Lord's Day. He was on the spirit on Sunday. Hebrew doesn't say that. Um, and then also he mentioned, which I was going to point out, um, and I would say the Hebrew, this would make it less Hebrew because it didn't say the trumpet. I would say the trumpet would make it more Hebrew in the Hebrew Gospel of Yochanan, or not Yochanan, of uh, the uh, Revelation, left it out. So I thought that was interesting that the Greek actually, the voice was as of a trumpet, but the Hebrew didn't mention that. Um, just two more things, and I'm going to talk about the two-edged sword as well. Rob talked about it, but he didn't say the parallel I was going to mention. So I'll just read the Hebrew. And the seven stars were in his right hand and out of his mouth when a double-edged sword and his appearance shone like the sun. The cross-reference I want to mention is Hebrews 4.12, as it literally says the word of God. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, unable to judge the thoughts and intentions of the here. So the word of God is as sharp as a two-edged sword, you know, and out of his mouth went a double-edged sword. I wanted to point that out. And also, I just noticed this as I'm reading it, the division of soul and spirit, I'm going to be talking about that in chapter two, but I thought that was kind of cool there. And then finally, my last thing before I hand it off to Noel is, you know, verse 20, it mentions confidential counsels again. So in the Greek, it says the mystery of the seven stars. In the Hebrew, now the confidential counsel of the seven stars. Um, and I'll finish it. Um, which you saw my right hand and the seven menorah of gold. So it is the seven stars that are the seven messengers and the seven menorah are the seven elders. It's interesting because in the Greek it says the seven churches and in the Hebrew it says the seven messengers or angels. And I wanted to quote Enoch. Enoch talks about the seven angels and I want to share what their roles are and where they are. So Enoch 20, starting on verse 1. And these are the names of the holy angels who watch. Uriel, one of the holy angels who was over the world and over Tartarus. Raphael, one of the holy angels who is over the spirits of men. Ragiel, one of the holy angels who takes vengeance on the world of the luminaries. Michael, one of the holy angels to wit, he that is set over the best part of mankind and over chaos. Sarakel, one of the holy angels who set over the spirits who sin in the spirit. Gabriel, one of the holy angels who is over paradise and the serpents and the cherubim. And Remiel, one of the holy angels whom God set over those who rise. So that that was a cool parallel. The 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 Greek just says the seven churches, while the Hebrew talks about the seven messengers. And I just wanted to parallel that with what the seven messengers do. And I also want to say to end it in our revelations or in our ruach study in the targums. It says Michael is the prince of wisdom, and wisdom's one of seven spirits. So I'm wondering if these other angels are also associated with one of the other spirits. So that, that'll be something that I'm going to be looking out for. I, unlike some of the, some of you guys, I haven't read. I'm not going to read ahead on Revelation. For me, it's going to be a total surprise. But that's all I got for now. I'm going to hand it off to Noel, then he'll finish this off in Chapter 1. Uh, that was amazing, Michael. I had never put that together before with the... You're on mute, no? 
Hopefully I'm not on mute now. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Okay. That's really weird because, okay, <laughs> I'm so sorry uh, for everyone listening for all the, the one of the, the problems with going live is you're at the mercy of everything that can, can and will go wrong. And some weeks go smoother than others. This one we're getting a lot this, uh, this week. I, I think it has something to do with the, the unmentionable day of the year it is. Uh, for those of you listening on YouTube, land, it, it happens to coincide with the winter solstice, and it is celebrated all over the world this time of year. And uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a spirit in the air that we are trying to avoid. But what I was saying, uh, Michael, was that that was amazingly well connected. I had never thought about uh, that. I, I didn't know that there were seven angels in Enoch. Somehow I read right over that, and that is an amazing connection, and also to the the seven spirits that are before the throne. That was really well put. There's a couple of things I will mention on this chapter before we move on. Is and it's and I believe Josh had dropped it in the the comments. Is that there's a lot of emphasis on the first and the last. Uh, you know, Yahusha being the first and the last, and it, we are questioning whether at one point if the Ruach HaKodesh, uh, she says that she is also the first and the last, and there's a very good reason for that. Well, we know in the, the Greek revelation that it says the Alpha and the Omega. Well, we don't, I, I had assumed that we would go from the Alpha Omega to the, uh, the if, forgive me for mispronouncing this, but the Alaf, the Alif and the Tav. And he's not. He doesn't say that here. He just says uh, the first and the last. So that's that's really interesting to note. I do want to drop in here. Um, I'm going to just read through these two passages in Second Esdras. Hopefully this comes up. You never know with BibleBot. Sometimes it amazes me the books that do pop up. And boom, there it is. Amazing. Second Ezra 2, 28-31. Now, contextually, before I read this, let's read what it says here in uh, the Confidential Councils, chapter 1, verse 18. And look, I was dead, but now I'm alive. Now, remember here, he's the first to have stood up. From everything and unto... I'm sorry, from everlasting and unto everlasting. And I have the keys of the, de of the death and ha-gehinnom. Well, let's see what Second Ezra says right here. This is a really awesome uh, passage. And it was this passage alone, backed with others, uh, that really helped change my whole outlook, my whole doctrine on, on Sheol. A, few years, a couple years ago, even last year, I was a diehard soul sleeper. You, you die, you're going down to sleep in Sheol. And I still hold to that from a historical perspective. But at one point in history... When, when you, this is one of the many things that Yahushua came as our Savior to save us from. He saved us from Sheol. We no longer have to, that's the good news, that's part of the good news, of many good news of Yahushua, is that we no longer have to go to Sheol if we are uh, his children, if we are the children of Israel. We no longer have to go to Sheol and uh, go to sleep and wait for to be woken and taken to paradise. That has already happened. And here we see the promise right here. The heathen shall envy thee, 
The heathen, of course, are the, the goyim, the Gentiles. Now remember, salvation only comes to the house of Yasharel. And we see that in other books, uh, parts of Second Ezra. The heathen shall envy thee, but they shall be able to do nothing against thee, saith Yahuwah. My hand shall cover thee so that thy children shall not see. Now it says hell here. It should say Sheol. Be joyful, O thou mother, with thy children. The mother is, uh, just so we were clear, the Ruach HaKadosh is the mother of Israel. Be joyful, O thou mother, with thy children, Israel. For I will deliver thee, saith Yahuwah. Remember thy children that sleep. For I shall bring them out of the sides of the earth, and shall mercy unto them. For I am merciful, saith Yahuwah Almighty. So here when Yahusha is speaking to Yochanan from the island of Patmos, he's, he's saying, look, I, I have the keys of death in Hagahanam. I'm the one that has released them. Let's see what else we read. One more passage before moving on. Hosea 13. This is another great uh, book that's rarely read in canon. Let's see what this has to say. You have destroyed yourself, O uh, Yasharel. That's never a good thing. But your help is in me. Where is your sovereign now to save you in all your cities and your rulers of whom you said, give me a sovereign and rulers? I gave you a sovereign in my displeasure, but I took him away in my wrath. The crookedness of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is hidden. Pains of a woman in labor shall come upon him. He is not a wise son, for it is not the time that he should lay at the breaking forth of children. I'm getting to the end of this, and I hope this is the right verse. Uh, oh, here it is. It is It is the right passage. Oh, so, saved by the, saved by the uh, verse 14. From the power of Sheol, I ransom them. From death, I redeem them. Where is your plague, O death? Where is your destruction, O Sheol? Repentance is hidden from my eyes. So, anyways, here we see that... that um, I love it just here as Yahushua is revealing himself to the disciple whom he loved, that he is, you know, showing him, look, I, I'm, as your high priest and your king, I hold these keys in my hand, and, you know, you are you are given in my care, and you will not go to Sheol. Um, you will come into my company, which we will, um, we will actually see later on in this book. So, with that, I'm going to turn it back over to you, Rob. Okay. All right. I, uh, I wanted to say thanks, Michael, for the, the seven angels and Enoch there. That was a good catch. And uh, I'm going to follow up with two things, two main things. One thing I do want to say is that, uh, you know, interpreting uh, Revelation Sadot is, 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 is more on, I'm trying to be as non-biased and just look at what the text says and pull in other verses to complement it or support it. So we can see what it is showing us. So I just want to mention that I don't I don't want to put forth anything here. So so some things may be may be very good to see. I will uh, I'm going to drop in in something on the Sadot from above. I'm gonna I'm gonna start keeping track of what we find in Revelation uh, on the things that are mentioned and such as the seven stars in Yeshua's right hand. They represent seven messengers, and then the seven menorot, which are the lampstands of gold, they represent seven elders, and the seven rukat, that spirit, breath, wind at Yah's throne. Those, those also, those, they represent seven lamps and seven eyes. And so I'm just going to keep adding on to this as time goes on, 
everyone so that we can see uh, what all of the 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 language is saying and what what it is what what, what it represents. So I just want to share that. And then last I want to talk about is is Yeshua, where we are looking at who he is. I mean, the, the, the description of Yeshua HaMashiach in Sadot here, we see that in just chapter 1, you know, 1 through, 1 through 18, we have some descriptors of him describing him, the faithful witness, the first who stood up from the dead ones, the ruler and commander over the earth. He is our love. He is our washing from our iniquities with his blood. He made us kings and priests before Yahweh. He is alive from everlasting to everlasting. Be his glory and honor. He, the, he is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He who was and is and will be. And we see that talking about the Father. And in verse 18, he has the keys of death and Hagihonom. So we see all of these pieces here describing uh, the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, in just the, the first chapter. And we'll, I'll just keep compiling as we go on with what we see here. And we do see pieces on here that talk about, uh, what was one more thing I wanted to mention, is... Now and that'll be the next chapter. I'll, I'll push that off the next chapter, but that's what I got for now. And I wanted to, I wanted to speak to those things because as each week goes on, like I said, we'll, I'll be compiling more and more on this to, to add to this. So by the time we are done, we'll have a really good, uh, solid uh, uh, dictionary, so to speak, of what we what we have looked at and discovered here. So I'll pass it on to Michael to talk next. Um, I'm all done with chapter one. I can start on chapter two unless no one has anything. Go ahead. Chapter two. Alrighty. So we, we are going to split chapter two up. I'm going to read one through 11, the first two churches. And then we'll pause and comment. So let's get, let's get going. Um, and to the messenger of the assembly of Ephesus, write, Thus says he who has the seven stars in his right hand, who walks amidst the seven menorah of gold, I know you works and your hope, and that you are not able to bear the wicked ones, and that you tested those who say that they are prophets while they are not, and found that they are deceivers, and your hope and trouble, all of which is because of my name. However, I am amazed because of what you yourself forsook, the first love. Remember who you were, and do repentance, and do your first works. And if not, your menorah will be thrust away hastily from its place, if you do not do repentance." Whosoever has ears must hear what the Ruach says to the assembly. Whosoever overcomes will eat from the tree of life, which is in the Garden of Eden. And to the messenger of the assembly of Smyrna write, Thus says the first and the last who died and stood up, I know your works and your sufferings, and the reproach of those who say that they are Yehudim while they are not, but are the sons of Hasatan. Do not be afraid of them. Look, Hasatan will take some of you in captivity in order to test you, and you will have suffering for ten days. Be faithful unto the day of your death, that I may give you the crown of life. Whosoever has ears to hear what the Ruach says to the assembly, whosoever overcomes will not have suffering from the last death. We're going to stop here. Noel will read the last two, but we're going to comment on these first two churches. So I will hand it off to Noel for commentary. 
Oh, once again, so much good stuff in here. And where do I even begin? I One thing that really struck me as I was studying for this passage that I had never thought about before, and you know what's interesting is that it's, it, it doesn't even, it's not that it says necessarily anything different from the Greek. It's just maybe how it's worded, and I, I picked this up. But we all know the, the famous passage, uh, I, I assume that probably everyone in this room at least, knows the, the famous passage of those who uh, say they are the Yahudim or the Jews, uh, that they are not, they are the sons of HaSatan. Okay, so let me just, let's go over this refresher here. It says, I know your works and your sufferings and the reproach of those who say that they are the Yahudim and while they are not, but are the sons of HaSatan. Now, before I get into my my observation, I just want to do a refresher here because about three weeks ago, we were going over this very topic in the Gospel of Yochanan, the Hebrew Gospel, and just showing here that this is seamless. Like, this is clearly the same Yahusha who was on the earth. And, like, he, he's got a... Well, let me, let me just uh, mention this here. Let's just read this. He's speaking here to the, the rulers of Yasharel. Um, I think contextually he's at the temple here. And he says, you are the sons of Hasatan, your father. Ouch. <laughs> Therefore, I assume that, it's just it's for the record, I assume that these are the same who say they are the Jews but are not. Okay, so uh, you, are, you, uh, you are the sons of Hasatan, your father. Therefore, you take pleasure in doing the will of your father. He was a murderer at the beginning and did not abide in the truth. For there is no truth with him. For everything which he speaks is a lie. Isn't that the truth? He speaks that which is nigh to him, for he is its father, and he is a liar. Um, all right, so we see here the connection that those who are savior, the Yahudim, but are actually the sons of Hasatan. Now, let's look at the, the, the next verse, verse 10. Do not be afraid of them. Um, that it doesn't say that in the Greek. Maybe I should read the Greek first. Let's read verse 10 in the Greek. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. Well, that, that's kind of interesting. That he may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. So, uh, you know, I... I've always looked at this and it been fascinated with Revelation my entire life. I should probably even note that I went to a, uh, I took a class with Calvary Chapel on Revelation, which, you know, I learned a lot of things in, in that. But it, it seems like here the context is that Hasatan or the devil will throw people in prison. Well, well who, he's a father of who again? He's a father of those who say they are Yahudim, but are actually the sons of Hasatan. So let's see what it says in the Hebrew. Do not be afraid of them. All right? Them. Not, not just Hasatan, but those who are, say they are this, uh, Yahudim, but are actually his children. Look, Hasatan will take some of you in captivity in order to test you, and you will have suffering for 10 days. Be faithful until the day of your death that I may give you the crown of life. Now, it reads, in a lot of ways, very similar here, but it's finally occurred to me, well, who's, who's throwing them in prison? Yeah, I know that, I know that from the top management, it's Hasatan, but it's, it's actually the Jews. These people who say they're the, the Yahudim, uh, but are not, they're the ones 
that are throwing uh, this church uh, in Smyrna into prison. So I, I think that that's just kind of interesting to point out. And as we as we look at 70 AD, now I take a I take a very different approach from this from most people think. Amazingly, the everyone here at Cosmology stuff they still ask me. They all think that I believe that Revelation happened in 70 AD. I do not believe Revelation went down. Uh, the book of Revelation went down in 70 AD. Um, I think that part of it did, but not all of it. And um, I, I will be, especially when we get to the next section, I really want to focus here, and I don't want to go into it um, already because we're going to be talking about the Nicolaitans coming up. I just gave you a little, a little uh, preview there that I believe that history has been scrubbed. Time and time again, whenever you try to look at these, like we know that there are seven historical churches that are being spoken about here, that they have elders, that they are, you know, their physical locations. These are not metaphorical churches. I do not hold to the seven church age theory. It's not like every single time you try to talk to people about Revelation, they're like, well, it's just a metaphor. And you're like, well, what is it a metaphor for exactly? And then they can't really tell you. They're just like, oh, good and evil, you know, that kind of stuff. It's a metaphor for, you know, good and evil. But um, it, I, I, I believe that this generation uh, from the Church of Smyrna, they were being thrown in prison by the Yahudim, who claims they were uh, the Yahudim, but were actually the sons of Satan. And we don't... I. I don't know. I, I challenge. Maybe it's there and I haven't seen it, but is it in the official history record books? And I'm going to present a little bit uh, later my thoughts on why I think that this generation, much of it, it it's, it's hard to dig into this generation because I think a lot of it has been scrubbed uh, for very good reasons. That they're trying to cover some stuff up. So um, one more thing before I hand it back to Rob. Uh, I, I found this really interesting here. That in verse four it says to the Church of Ephesus. Now, one of the things that I, I'm, I am very interested in as we look at these seven different churches is that they very likely represent uh, types of people. Um, uh, th that's not that the whole um, I guess allegory, but that you know I think each of us can kind of look at these different churches and go, I kind of relate with that one, and I think frankly. Many of us here in the Torah movement, if we're going to relate to a church, probably a lot of us, if we're being honest, relate to the church of Ephesus, to the Ephesians. Because we all came into the truth movement because of our, because of our first love, Yahusha. And um, but what happens is, is that many of us um, really struggle with that first love when we get into Torah. And I don't, I'm not speaking down on Torah at all because it is instructions in righteousness. It is, it is, uh, you know, to 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 perceive Torah is to perceive the face of the Father. Uh, but that's something that we a lot in this community really struggle with was with our first love. And our first love, by the way, was identified in chapter one. We, uh, in case anyone missed it, we read right over it. Um, let's see, where does it say it? Um, I will find it here. It is here somewhere. Bummer. I'm here on the spot and I can't, but um, <laughs> maybe I'll find it next time. But anyways, it says that, um, that, that Yohanan identifies him as, as our love. And I thought that was really awesome. So 
with that, I'm going to hand it over to Rob. Okay, great. I I will make a comment here, and then I'm going to uh, jump into the first church or the first assembly, the elder of the assembly here. Uh, I wanted to touch on what you were what you just mentioned, Noel, on the verse the verse uh, five. Remember who you were, and do repentance, and do your first works. And I think also another dynamic what could be considered is remember who you were. And if you look at the Greek, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent. And I mean, you you could probably take that even far back to the garden. To when Adam fell from his great his brightness that he was before, when we're looking at the uh, books of Adam and Eve, and when they fell, he lost the brightness and uh, took on the, the the mortality flesh part. Now, so that's another option to look at when it's talking about remember who you were. We were we were those who walked in righteousness, and as it says here right afterwards, do repentance and do your first works. So I just wanted to touch on that, but I'm going to uh, drop in on the first assembly. And as you know, they, these are being written out to the seven elders of each assembly. And this one here is on Ephesus. And I, I dropped in what it's saying about this, about this assembly. And I color-coded it just so we can see some of the, the pieces that it's talking to us about. Because I do believe, like, like Noel said, the, the, the representation here, it's, it, it's, it, it is speaking to different persons in each one of these. So when we read these, we as an individual can look at this and self-examine ourselves with what it's saying. Or do we fit in what it's saying here? And if, it, it, and if we do, what do we need to do about that? How do we repent, which means to change? So how do we repent from this? And I, w I wanted to put on the first one, the, the force of the first love. And I tie that in with Mark 12, 30 and 31, where it talks about the greatest, greatest commands. Shall love Yahweh, your Elohim, from all your heart, with all your soul, from all your thought, and from all your strength. This is the foremost commandment. And the second is likened to this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And that should be pretty obvious for us. We, we, this, is, this is our first love. It is, it is the Father, and then it is our neighbor as ourselves. And this is what we need to be walking in and doing. Because you see the example here that Ephesus, they're talking about some great things that uh, they they didn't bear uh, they were not able to bear the wicked ones that they that you were tested those who say that are prophets while they are not they found them as liars so they're doing they're 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 doing this testing of these false teachers and they're doing it because of his name but they're doing it without the love. And, and I think we all can recognize and see people that do this. And I hope if you're a person that, can, that is doing this or anyone, that you can self-examine and, and, uh, and see this. That if you like to correct people and point things out on their doctrine and, and what they think and what they're, 
what they believe in or what they're doing and compare it to scripture and, and, and condemn them, are you, A, doing it in love? Are you uh, taking this in, in, in a serious manner and doing it in humility, in kindness, in tenderness? Uh, because you really care for this person, or are you trying to tell them you know more than they do, that you are right, they are wrong, and they're going to suffer for that? So we, those are things that we must be careful of uh, in, the, in our community and in, in our brothers and sisters, is that when we do point out these false teachers, uh, and, and are we even uh, uh, accusing our own brethren falsely? And causing uh, strife between each other and so forth. So, so anyway, I wanted to talk about that because it says, who's the overcomer? The overcomer in this scenario that he mentions is they will eat from the tree of life. And, and it tells you, it, it's telling this church what they should do. Remember who you are. Do repentance. So repent of these things. So obviously, if he's telling them to do repentance, even though they're pointing out the false prophets, they're not doing something right, even though they're doing this. They're, they're not doing something right in the love that they have for others and uh, one another and for Yah. And to do your former works, which points back to doing what you should be doing in righteousness. So I wanted to uh, share that on Ephesus. And then I will uh, share here on Smyrna. And Smyrna, also, we see here that <clears throat> this one's talking about the Yaudin that's, that say they are but are not and are the children of Hasatan. And they, they will put some of, some of us into captivity in order to test us and suffer for 10 days. And I do believe that 10 days, uh, I, I didn't get a chance to look up this as an idiom, but I believe that, that may be for not, may, it may not exactly mean 10 specific days. It could, but... Uh, it may be for a short while uh, in that context, but I, I need to validate that. Uh, but what it's saying here for the overcomer in this scenario, because we in this world, we know that those who run it are this, is Hasatan and the, and the children of Hasatan. And so they take advantage of, of the righteous and here is a good example. It says some of them will, will be put in, in captivity to be tested. So that will happen. And it, it needs to happen because it's stating here that it's going to happen and it's all for the test. So the overcomer in this scenario will not have the suffering from the second death. And it's telling us to, to not be afraid of them. Do not, do not be afraid of what we see going on in this world. The, the jab, the whatever, all, all of this fear-mongering that is out there, do not fear, do not be afraid. But it says, be faithful unto the day of your death. That faithfulness, that is continuous, continuous, continuous. Do not give up, do not give in. Always stay strong in your faith and continue in it. Walk in the Spirit in love, peace, joy, tenderness kindness, etc., bearing the fruit so that others can see the light in us. So uh, that, that's what I wanted to share regarding the Church of Smyrna, and uh, I'll keep putting these together as we move on. So I hope you enjoyed that, and I will pass this over to Michael. 
Yeah, I just have a little bit on this these two churches. Um, you guys talked about some of it. Um, I'll start with number four. You know, Noah brought it up as well. Um, how I am amazed because of what you forsook, you yourself forsook the first love, and Noah linked it to Revelation one five, which I didn't even or for for um, confidential counsels, but uh, I was linking it to two Old Testament passages so proverbs two seventeen says who leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her god and then jeremiah 2 2 go and proclaim in the ears of jerusalem saying this is what the lord says i remember regarding you the devotion of your youth your love when you were a bride you are following following after me in the wilderness through a land not sown so it's talking about when they first came out of egypt and he gave them their the vows and you know they were following her, him like a bride and that's the first love and then they went astray and um so and then number six it doesn't mention nicolaitans for ephesians ephesians ephesus can't speak but uh so I, at first i was like whoa did they take it out of everything but then it, it turns out later in the next part of chapter two um where they did they hated the the, the deeds of the nicolaitans um so I guess Ephesus didn't hate the deeds. Um, and then number nine, synagogue of Satan and sons of Hasatan. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more after that, but I wanted to also point out two other differences between the Hebrew and the Greek. Um, so it doesn't say poverty in the Hebrew. So let me read the Greek. I know they works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. That's in the Greek. And I know the blasphemy, and I'll get to that. So in the Hebrew, I know your works and your sufferings. So I know your works and your sufferings. In the Greek, I know thy works and thy tribulations. It doesn't mention poverty, but thou art rich. Um, keep on going. In the Greek, it says, and I know thy blasphemy of them which say they are Jews. In the Hebrew, it says, I, and the reproach. So again, I just wanted to point out the difference. Blasphemy and reproach, and then... The Hebrew doesn't mention poverty. And I, I found a cross-reference that I thought was awesome, but it only goes with the Greek. So Proverbs 13, 7. There is one who pretends to be rich, but has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, but has great wealth. So I just found it was curious that uh, the Hebrew didn't mention that. Um, number 11. It says, you know, I guess both are awesome. You know, I'm not going to pick one or the other, but I'll read both. So... He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. We've talked about that in previous John studies. In Hebrew, whosoever has ears must hear what the Ruach says to the assembly. Whosoever overcomes will not have suffering from the last death. So I just love how they both talk about that. The second death, that's what you're saved from. That's that's when you're thrown into the lake of fire. That's your last death. You, you eternally will not exist anymore. So, And then finally, before I hand it off to Noel, those who know me, like, you know, Rob and Dave, before before I got into the post-mill, I was doing like an hour or two study on these seven churches, and I linked them to so many different things. It's truly remarkable, all the codes. Um, so I didn't grow up in church. I get into Torah, and I'm told I have to be pre-trip or post-trip, you know, so I'm like, okay, I'm a post-trip. And then I started, re you know, reading the Bible for myself, and I, I personally see throughout the whole Bible, Yah protects his own people. He's not. If you're refining yourself, and if you are obedient, he will protect you. 
you know, Job was protected until he decided to go knock down idols of Satan, right? Um, so I started to come to the conclusion that there is somewhat of a pre-trib protection. You know, you're not going to be raptured up to the heavens, but there's a, a small group that would be protected. And, you know, I was doing these these studies. I was even presenting it. And I had, I had Dave in my ear the whole time. <laughs> The whole time saying, God, you know, Mike, man, this might have happened already. You know, check out these verses. And, you know, I had a, that, I fought it. I fought it for a while. But I just wanted to point out some stuff on Smyrna. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I did a, a 2-5 code in John. And this, this just goes with it. So um, if I recall, there was two fish and five loaves. There was two angels in Lot and five cities. Um there were, but there were also two five in the churches, and um, and oh yeah, in the, in the seven spirits, wisdom and understanding, in my opinion, are the two five. But in the churches, it's Philadelphia and Smyrna. They had nothing wrong with them. Um, Philadelphia had nothing wrong with them. Smyrna had nothing wrong with them. But Smyrna had to go through ten days of, you know, tribulation, I guess you would say. And both those churches were mentioned about the synagogue of Satan. Why those two churches? To me, those are the truth-seeking churches. Those are the obedient churches. They had nothing wrong with them. And Yeshua was, you know, he mentioned the synagogue of Satan only with those two churches. Um, but I want to point out just real quick, and I'm going to go way more detail next week with Philadelphia, but I, I've personally linked Philadelphia and Smyrna to the feasts. So Philadelphia had nothing wrong with them. Um, you read about the, the ten wise virgins. When when they heard, you know, the the husband coming, they they heard a shout. They they heard the shout and they came to meet the bridegroom. And that's that's the day of shouting. That's the Yom Teruah. And what happens ten days later? Ten days later is the day of atonement. Um, I can go way more into that, but in my opinion, these seven churches also link to the seven feasts, and Smyrna is part of that Day of Atonement feast. So that's why they had nothing wrong with them, but they had to go through ten days, and it's linking the, you know, the feast cycles. What's after Day of Atonement, guys? It's Sukkot, right? So, you know, I'll just end it here. De Deuteronomy twenty-four talks about, you know, you know, the king when he gets married, he has to stay with his bride for a year before going off to war. That's a Sukkot. That's a tabernacle. You know, what's war? You know, what, what war would be that day of the Lord wrath, right? In my opinion. So he's succoding with people before, if he's following that Deuteronomy 24 passage, before that. That's a, that's a pre-trib, you know, or, or definitely before the post-trib, um, that he's succoding with those people. And I, I personally think it's these two churches that he's succoding with. Um Hopefully I explained that well enough. I will give it off to Noel, and next week I will have a lot more on Philadelphia. You're uh, blowing my mind this week, Michael. That, that was really good. I have just one more thing that I want to add to... Well, maybe maybe I'll throw in two things that I want to add in here. Um, and if you one of you to mention this, then I do apologize. There is... I want to really do a, a line by line in here, and we see that in chapter two, verse two, there is a, a a difference between those who were cast out of the church. In the church of Ephesus, in the Greek, it says that thou hast tried them which they they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. Well, here it says that 
um, and that you are not able to bear the wicked ones, and that you are that you tested those who say they are prophets, uh, while they are not. And I, you know, I I really like that. There, it's it really ties in well with Deuteronomy thirteen, um, testing those who come. It basically it 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 tells you right prophets tested is what we call the deuteronomy 13 test and i don't need to read the whole chapter here it's 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 quite extensive here um if i drop deuteronomy uh 13 here it probably won't oh uh, yeah and bible bot, bot won't give it but anyone can read it for themselves and it's the test of if if someone is a false prophet or not and the test is do they lead you away from the truth of torah and if they tell you to break Torah, then they are a false prophet. And so that's just one little dis, uh, difference there. Uh, but keeping in the same theme and actually, I think, um, strengthening it in my mind. But the thing that really, that I loved here, I mean, I'm surprised that uh, Rob and Michael, that neither of you brought this up. I was kind of crossing my fingers that you wouldn't because I wanted to mention this. Is that, I mean, I, I got really excited when I read this. I'll start from the Greek, and it says in verse uh, 7, um, He that has an ear, let him hear what the, the Spirit saith, saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to, to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of Elohim. All right, so... So within within the church, you get this idea of that you know that there's this paradise and that that's where we're going to go, but there's a complete disassociation with what paradise actually is. Now here at the Unexpected Cosmology, we've been talking about this a lot. What paradise actually is, and here it actually says it. And I want that I want us to think about the implications of what this is actually saying in Hebrew Revelation. Whosoever has an ear must hear what the Ruach says to the assembly. Whosoever overcomes will eat from the tree of life. Got it? Which is in the Garden of Eden. All right? So, for those of us here that have been following these extra biblical books and other things, we're kind of like, no duh. Paradise is the Garden of Eden. But if you go walk into any church, any Western evangelical church, and you ask them, you ask the pastor for directions to the Garden of Eden, can you show me the way to the Garden of Eden? They will tell you the Garden of Eden was destroyed in the flood. And it's like, oh, was it? Um, and this, so what it's saying here, and I just really want to work on these implications. What it's saying here is that what we have been showing with the Aramaic Targum, and other books is that Adam, when he was put into the garden, uh, the, uh, the Garden of Eden, that was in paradise. That wasn't on the earth. Adam and Eve were in the third heaven in paradise. Paradise and the Garden of Eden are uh, inseparable. They're the same. They were not in some place on the earth. Uh, so that's really exciting to see here in Revelation that it's still saying the Garden of Eden exists. And uh, that's all I have on this section. So handing it back to you, Rob. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, uh, the, the only part I wanted to add on to what you just said on verse 7 was we see here once again, and we see it multiple times, that whoever has ears must hear what the Ruach says to the assembly. So we're seeing that this information is coming forth from the Ruach, because uh, you'll, you'll see this go back and forth between the Ruach and, and Yeshua talking and pass, relaying the messages along. So I just, just want to point that out once again. 
on that topic. And and to follow up on what you mentioned on Ephesus that they were doing Deuteronomy 13, but uh, once again they they forsook their first love. So there was there was something about the love that was not in them that once was. Maybe they got, uh, in my opinion, maybe they got too uh, legalistic with the process and and the love was just uh, uh their light was going out because of that and so he calls them to do repentance to get back in line so that that perhaps is, is very possible that's my opinion but uh, i i am done for for those two two assemblies and uh pass it over to michael and then Noel. yeah i'm done as well so if Noel has nothing left we can uh, get on to the next two churches all right. Rob, uh, any last words? Speak now or forever hold your peace. We're I about am to good. Move on. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, let's continue with verse 12. And to the messengers of the assembly of Pergamos, write, Thus says he who has a double-edged sword, I know your works, and that your place is at the place where the throne of Hasatan is, and that you believe in my name and in my faith. Also, in the times when my, uh, excuse me, oh, yeah, that's what it says. Also, in the times when my faithful joined one, Antipas, was killed near you at the place where Hasatan dwells. But you must also hate that who, t you must also hate those who teach the teaching of Bilam, who taught by Balak to do evil to the children of Yisrael by making them to sin by fornication. And you must also hate the teaching of the Nicolaitans, for I also hate these. Do repentance, and if not, I myself will come with haste to make war with you by the sword which is in my mouth. Whosoever has ears must hear what the Ruach says to the assembly. Whosoever overcomes, I will be pleased to give him to eat of the hidden manna, and also to give him a good testimony. And on this testimony, a new name will be written which no one is able to read except he who received it. And to the messenger of the assembly of uh, Thyatira, write, Thus says the son of Yahuwah, whose eyes are just like a flame of fire and his feet like copper. I know your works and your love and your service and your faith and your hope and that you always work even more. But I have a small thing against you, that you allow the woman Jezebel, who says that she is a prophetess, and those who teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication. Look, I am about to bring over her and over him who lies with her great suffering, unless they do repentance concerning their works. And I did give her time to do repentance. And her... <clears throat> And her sons will be put to death, and all the assembly will recognize that I am he who tests kidneys and heart, and everyone according to his measures, it will be rewarded to him. But to you, even to the others who are in Thyatira, I am saying that I will not bring more suffering upon you since you did not learn of the teaching of Hasatan. But you must hold on to this which you have until I come. And whosoever overcomes, I will give nations as his inheritance. And he will lead them with a rod of iron, and you will shatter them like a potter's vessel, and like 
I received from my father, so I will give him the light. Whosoever has ears must hear what the Ruach says to the assembly. Back okay. to you, Rob. All right, I will, uh, I'll touch on a th two things and then I'll go into the church, churches here. Just want to point out in the Greek to the Hebrew in verse, verse 14 and also verse 20, we see that uh, it talks about, I'll, I'll try to sum it up, the, the stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And in the Hebrew, that is not even there. And then in chapter, in verse 20, uh, talking about to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols, that is not in the Hebrew either. So I just want to point that out. That is very interesting that it, that is not there at all. And then we see here, okay, now I'll go into the, I'll go into the, the churches here. I'll start, start with uh, Pergamos. And what we see here is, this church here, or this assembly, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that there is an issue here with teachings, and there we're being told to uh, to hate these teachings. Uh, that these teachings uh, that are being done. Let me see here. <clears throat> Sorry. Okay. Uh, it jumped off my screen. Okay, so now we're talking about hating the teachings of Balaam and also hating the teachings of the Nicol Nicolaitans. And we know from Balaam that the children of Israel, the way to get the children of Israel to sin back then, uh, during, that, during that moment when uh, the king went to Balaam to do this or to find out how he could uh, curse them because Balaam couldn't curse them, he told him that, well, we can get the more or less the harlots to go down and associate themselves with the men and have them uh, seduce them to fornicate. And so they did, and, and that was their downfall. And so here we see that here's a warning. The teachings of Balaam is, you know, we see the, the pornography. We see, you know, all of the... Uh, teachings out there, whether it's even in the schools to the industries that are that are being put forth in, in social media, commercials, everything. The teaching is plainly there everywhere. And I think uh, everyone can attest to that, that that is out there. It is to uh, tempt or have people fall into the sin of fornication and then it just being taught as no big deal and and so forth so we see that being done and and it's it's warning us to hate this and also to hate the nicolaitans and i'll let uh michael or noel speak to the nicolaitans on the teachings of that I, I know that as being the more or less from what i understand the nicolaitans did was a an individual preacher so you have a lot of these these evangelists, and they're an individual preacher, and they have a flocks of thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, whatever it may be, following them, and they are the say-all, know-all and say-all for the flock, and, you know, that can be very dangerous, because if the, the teacher is wrong in some areas, he's leading everyone down that road, but anyway, that's, that's the Nicolaitans. So he's talking about repenting, 
um, for the teachings that are going on. If once you realize, once you self-examine, and you understand what this teaching, these teachings are, repent if that is something that you are following or participating in. So we, we see the overcomer in this uh, will eat the hidden manna and be given a written testimony with a new name on uh, on that. Uh, and by by that, we must believe in his name and have faith in him. And as we just read, read prior, the, the prior assembly, uh, faithfulness to the end, we must hate the teachings of Balaam and the teachings of Nicolaitans and repent. So that was my overview for Pergamos. And then I will do Thyra Tyra. And on this church, or I keep saying that, I'm so used to it, but this assembly, we see here that it's warning about the woman, Isabel, or Jezebel, as we, as we commonly know, and the teachings that she does in seducing the servants to commit fornication. Here again, another church with the fornication issue. And that this one also su supports the prior one with, with what we see in, in our current industry and, and where it's everywhere, as, as the term goes in marketing, uh, sex sells. So it is everywhere in, in what you see in, in social media, advertising, etc. So here again, it's a warning about that and the teachings of Jezebel. And I'll let, I'll let the other, the, uh, I'll let Michael and Noel speak more on, on Jezebel. And the one who lies with her will be great suffering. So if you're participating in this, if you can't set yourself apart, you can't be a set apart one, and you're like uh, struggling or stuck in this, this is where there's going to be great suffering uh, upon you, whether it is now or whether it is later. Uh, we, we don't want to be losing our rewards when we can do the suffering here now if you are, are in this. Repent, get out, and deal with it here and now in this life. The overcomer will be given nations as a, an inheritance and lead them, and they'll be given the light. And that light, and when it's talking about that, it's like, it's, a, it's like a bright light of the sun type of light. So repent concerning the works. Hold on to which what you have until I come. So here's the the continuous reminder, faithfulness to the end, hold on to it, endure, endure to the end. So that is what I have on the two churches as an overview, uh, and I will pass this along to Michael for further uh, comments. Sure, yeah. Um, I'll, I'm going to split my churches up, so I will start with Pergamos. Um, I'm going to start on 13. It talks about Antipas. So I'll read the Hebrew. I know your works and that your place is at the place where the throne of Hasatan is, and that you believe in my name and in my faith. Also in the times when my faithful jointed one, Antipas, was killed near you at the place where Hasatan dwells. I did a little research on Antipas. Um, according to Christian tradition, John the Apostle ordained Antipas as Bishop of Pergamum during the reign of the Roman Emperor Nero. Patricial account goes on to say that Antipas was martyred during the reign of Nero, 54 to 68 AD, by burning in a brazen bull-shaped altar at the Apollyon Temple in Lyon, Geneva, Switzerland. I don't know if that's true or not. History, you know, is a guess. But uh, that's what I found on Antipas. Um, number 14. Um, it does not, again, I think Rob mentioned it. This is 
this is one of two times where I think it ta- it takes away eating things sacrificed unto idols. So 14 and also in 20, we'll get to that later, it removes to eat things sacrificed unto idols. I don't have much more to add on that part. I'm sure Noel will. But um, what I do want to mention is on, on number 14, a cross-reference. I guess I can read it. So, But you must also hate those who teach the teaching of Balaam, who taught by Balak to do evil to the children of Yasharel, by making them sin by fornication. And Wisdom of Solomon 14, 12 for the devising of idols was at the beginning of spiritual fornication, and the invention of them, the corruption of life. So this almost kind of tailors the Greek more. Devising of idols was the beginning of spiritual fornication, not physical. Um, so I will talk more about the Nicolaitans. I'm sure Noel can do a better job. But again, um, it it didn't mention it in Ephesus, but it does mention it in chapter in number 15. And you must also hate the teachings of the Nicolaitans, for I hate the also for I also hate these. According to Irenaeus and Hippolytus, the Nicolaitans were found by Nicolaus, the proselyte of Antioch, who was one of the seven chosen deacons to serve at the tables. Acts six five. The announcement found the approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Well, that's true or not, uh, it's something I found that the Nic- Nicolaitans were literally one of the seven deacons in Antioch. Um, and he had bad theology. And finally, before I pass it off to Noel, number 17, I thought this was awesome. I'll read the Greek first. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name, which no man knoweth, saying, He that receiveth doesn't say white stone in the, in the Hebrew. It says, Whosoever has an ear, what the Ruach says to the assembly, whosoever overcomes, I will be pleased to give him to eat of the hidden manna and also to give him a good testimony. And on this testimony, a new name will be written, which no one was able to read except he who received it. So a white stone and a good testimony. So th- I thought that was awesome. So I link it to... Maybe on Judgment Day, when he's our judge and he will pardon us, he's going to give us a good testimony. He's going to be like, "Oh my gosh, I saw, I saw Noel do these things. He had this faith. He, he, you know, he proclaimed my name throughout. You know, had a diversity and did all that stuff. He had the fruits of the spirit on Judgment Day. He's going to give a good testimony. But the white stone intrigued me, so I did a little research on the white stone part. People in ancient times often voted by casting stones. A white stone." typically meant yes and a black stone meant no so, so give it if you're given a white stone you're you're getting a yay not a net you're getting a yay. yes yes i will save him yes he did good yes he did you know he walked it out walked my father's commandments out so a white stone is yes and a good testimony so i don't think it diminishes it i just think each language gives its own version of the same thing but i thought that was awesome between the white stone I'll stop there and I'll do the the other church later, but I'll give it off to Nona. So a couple of things just quickly on Antipas is uh, that's the first time I've ever heard that he died in Switzerland. <laughs> I don't know where that comes from, but that's okay. Uh, well, I'll go with it. He, he was killed in Switzerland, but uh, you had mentioned that he was put into a bowl. And so... Um, Again, this is, uh, as as Michael would point out, this is tradition. We really don't know 
Um, but if Ant- Antipas was put into this bowl, the, the, the picture that is being formed here is that they would, uh, they would set a fire underneath the bowl. And so he's like in this bronze or some sort of you know, metallic uh, cooker. And as he started screaming in agony and pain, the bowl would start mooing. And so it would, it would basically be like the god, like Baal, coming to life and speaking to the, uh, the crowd through his, his cries. Uh, so it's, you know, that's pretty uh, a sadistic way to go. But it also adds to, if, if he was killed in a Nero, it once again adds to the 70 AD timeline scenario that Yochanan was not writing this in the 90s AD when historians and theologians are trying to push this off. They, they do that. The only reason we imagine John is an old man on the island of Patmos, it never says he's an old man. The only reason we believe that or think that is because we've been told that so often in church and they want us to because they want to disassociate this from the events of, of leading up to 70 AD. Um, now, when it comes to the Nicolaitans, if you if you go to my favorite, uh, one of my favorite sources is the Wikipedia, they will try to piece together all they can with the church fathers and what they were saying on the Nicolaitans, which is, by the way, very, very little. Um, to the point that, as I earlier suggested, that the Nicolaitans were scrubbed from history. They had to have been. Like there, there, it's the same thing with the Nazarene. If uh, I, hopefully everyone in this room listening knows what the Nazarene are, but uh, not maybe not everyone on YouTube land knows. But the Nazarene were a force to be reckoned with. I believe that they were the true uh, sons of Israel who were dispersed across the land, but they were uh, keeping Torah, the Father's commands, and the testimony of Yahushua. And the Catholic war, uh, Church was at war with them, and they scrubbed them from history. We we know that the 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 Church Fathers. Uh, talk about them some, usually in a villainous way, but but they were there and they're gone. You don't see them in history. Where did they go? Well, I'm going to call the same thing with the Nicolaitans, and I think that there was a reason for that. I think that um, the, the they were mentioned twice in the Greek text, once here, but clearly the book of Revelation was written to conspiracy theorists. I mean, let's just face the facts. You're, you're in the town of... Um, um, what is it? Where's the, the seat of Satan? It was in Smyrna, right? And um, no, it was in Pergamum. And I mean, you're trying to tell people like, if you were a, a follower of Messiah and you're going up, people be like, yeah, this is this, this town right here. This is the seat of Satan. They'd be like, they'd be offended. Like, how dare you call my God Satan? Like, you know, you, you see what I'm saying? Like, we all, we all, you know, try to do this with like Christmas and other things and try to convince them that this is worshiping Satan. They get offended by it. And this is what this, this, um, these followers would have been doing. And they would all know, they would have all known who the Nicolaitans was, were. So I'm going to put in here, Michael did read from this and I'm going to read this one more time. Uh, by the way, uh, many of the founding fathers do kind of throw up their, their hands and they think, well, it was this Nicholas guy. Now the crimes that they, they, throw they just make this stuff like the things that i guess nicholas was accused of is apparently he had a drop dead gorgeous wife and he passed his wife around to the congregation and so a bunch of people were like hey this is a i like this congregation and they were going there and taking his wife it's like no come on who was doing that like no like he wasn't passing his wife around uh that's not what it's talking about here in the in the terms of fornication all right but the the, the key word here 
is that, and it's it's interesting uh, because Stephen is here, and Stephen was killed by uh, by by Shaul. I'm not I'm not going to go down that road tonight. We see here that uh, Nicholas he was. It says he was a convert from Antioch. All right, so. Nicholas comes from Antioch, and time and time again, we see, and this is a great, uh, you'll see the study with the, if you go into the Nazarene um, uh, narrative, is that who came from Antioch? Well, let's see what it says here in Acts 11, um, 20 through 21. Come on, Bible bot, don't let me down. And it says, uh, I don't know if I have the right one. I don't know if I have the right one. But anyways, you'll have to take my word for it that the Christians came from Antioch. Antioch is the community where Christianity came from. The term Christian Christian came from there. This is the same uh, uh, church where we had, where uh, Kepha, Peter, scooted his chair out. And we get the book of Galatians as a result. So my view on this is what I think that Yahusha hates. He hates. We're already seeing here, he's like commending the church of Ephesus for the prophets that come in that are false prophets. What are the prophets? What are they be doing according to Deuteronomy 13? They would be leading them away from Torah. And I believe that these Nicolaitans um, were people who um, did away with the law. And it's kind of interesting that, uh, or in some capacity. Now, it's kind of, it's almost... It's not comical. It's not funny, but it, it, it's only funny because it's it's so ironic. Is that when you read a lot of commentary on people when they when uh, uh, big church leaders when they try to talk about the Nicolaitans, they're like, "Well, we know that the law was done away with, but uh, they just mistook the fact they thought they could commit fornication. They thought they could do that because the rest of the law was done away with." It's like, ugh, like. <laughs> Do you, do you guys not see what you're saying here? Like it's it's like how would how would they know? Like if they were to do away with the law and they're just eating pork, like oh we can eat pork now, how would they know that fornication is off the table? You can't you can't know that. Like there was there's no there's no document that says oh you can eat you know you can just like I don't know like homosexuality that's still bad but um all these other laws in leviticus you can do that you know and but but not fornication so uh that's what i think is going down here and um i will that's just of course my opinion on this this is my conclusion and i think those who the nicolations are and i think that they were forced to be reckoned i think that they i think the conspiracy here kind of like the people who say they're the Yahudim, but are not, and they rule the world. <laughs> they rule the music industry. They rule, by the way, pornography, which Rob was just talking about. Well, you know, follow the people who aren't leading that. It's those who say they are the Yahudim, but are not. And uh, we see the same thing. I think the Nicolaitans are the people who um, uh, took over the world, which is also ironic that many uh, commentators will tell you that the Nicolaitans, if they take the, the church age history account, they'll say that's the Roman Catholic Church. So. Uh, that's kind of interesting. Anyways, back to you, Rob. All right, thank you. Yes, I'll, I'll tail on that and and talk about uh, when when we're looking at Jezebel here in verse twenty and the committing the fornication. You know, we we can also tie that in with the idol worship and idols and and you know when 
when Yahweh is talking about the fornication with idols, you know, about adulterous ad adultery with idols, etc., we see when you look at idols in, in our time, you can relate those to whether it is sports, people idolize sports, people idolize uh, the government, the film industry, Marvel, you know, all of that. You got also the medical now, especially the medical. I mean, think about this. If you look at, uh, let's look at verse 22 to 23. Look, I am about to bring her, bring over her and over him who lies with her great suffering. So these are people that are committing fornication with the prophetess, the Jezebel, and and those who teach and seduce the servants to commit this fornication. Uh, so great suffering unless they do repentance concerning their works. And he's given us time, or them time. And her sons will be put to death, and all the assembly will recognize that I am he who tests kidneys and hearts. Well, if you tie that in with the jab... Uh, you know, you see, you see people dropping, and you're also seeing this affecting uh, hearts primarily. And uh, it's interesting that it talks about testing the kidneys and the hearts, and everyone according to his measure will be rewarded. So, not to say that this is what it means. Just I'm just trying to relate things to what it's saying here as some some possible tie-ins to 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 what it's saying to say, hey, look at this. That is very interesting. I don't. I won't take this as that's the answer. That's what it is saying. No, but it is something that can fit it. So when it can fit it, it definitely should bring raise eyebrows to look at that and and wonder. So that that was one thing I wanted to add to what you were just saying uh, regarding uh, the fornication piece because yeah, I think it's uh it's very deep uh, with idols and the whole sexual revolution that is just bringing. Yas people down left and right, and that's why it, we're always warned and told to be set apart. They're, we're told to be set apart for a reason. Yeah, no compromise. It's it's you got to walk, walk the talk, and do it in love, and do it in the spirit, do it in fruits of the spirit, because that's where a lot of people do do uh, do have a challenge with. They'll they'll do it with. Uh, uh, not a great spirit when they're doing these things, especially when they're trying to do not compromise with their loved ones, and they do it harshly, and the loved ones won't understand. Then that then that that's when they think they're that they're in a cult or something. So that's what that what we have to be careful of when when we're talking about our position with not compromising with the worldly ways and worldly things. So that was that was my last comment for this this chapter on what was said. Uh, but if anything else comes up, I can certainly talk further on. Uh, pass it over to Michael. Alrighty, yeah, I don't have much on Thyatira, but uh, I'll start off here. Um, let's see, uh, Thyatira was the longest letter of the seven messages, but from the research I did, it was the smallest and least consequential of the group of seven. So they. they they packed a punch. They did a lot of wrong, and they were one of the they were the smallest of those those seven. Um, again, I pointed it out earlier. Number twenty doesn't mention sacrifice unto idols. Again, I don't know what that means. Twenty two. Um, let's see. And in the Greek, behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of the deeds. 
um, in the Hebrew, look, I'm about to bring over her and over him who lies with her great suffering unless they do repentance concerning their works. Um, I, you know, I'm wondering why they didn't transfer over tribulation. I guess you can say it's similar. Um, I, I'm interested to see, you know, I haven't checked Matthew, the Hebrew Matthew and Matthew 24. I wonder if it says suffering instead of tribulation. Maybe, maybe the Hebrew just doesn't like that word. Maybe that's a Greek, Greek word. Um, two more things. Uh, James pointed it out to number 28. I will give him the morning star and in the Hebrew. So I will give him the light. Again, I don't have much to add on that, but I, you know, that's one of the big things. She was the, the morning star. They also link Lucifer, or, you know, um, the light bear as being the morning star. But here it says, I will give him the light. And then finally, just real quick, a cross reference on number 23. And her sons will be put to death, and all the assembly will recognize that I am he who tests the kidneys and heart, and everyone according to his measures it will be rewarded to him. Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind to give each person according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. I think that's awesome. You know, I think he's, I love the, far, the, the fact that he, he, you know, he tests our hearts. I'm asking the question, what does testing the kidneys mean? I have no clue. I was doing some quick research and all, you know, most of the, the, the Hebrew verses that talk about kidneys are in Leviticus and it talks about the different offerings. So I'm assuming it's related to that in the priesthood position. But as far as testing our kidneys, I, I have no idea. I'm hoping either the, the chat or Noel or Rob can add more to that. That's all I have for, for Tharatara. I'll hand it off to Noel now. I'll have uh, Pam jump in, and she wants to talk about the kidney a little bit. Uh, I think, oh, no, she <laughs> that was Rob asking Pamela to, uh, Miss Pam, to help out. So I'm sorry, I mistranslated that. But anyways, um, the only thing I really wanted to add tonight, one more thing, was that I am going to drop this. I keep putting the wrong verse in tonight, but this says, this is Yahusha uh, praying on the night he was betrayed. This is in the Gospel of John. We haven't gotten there yet in our study. We'll get there in a couple uh, weeks. Hopefully this is reads the same in the Hebrew, or maybe even better, but who knows. But he says, And I have made your name known to them, and shall make it known, so that the love with which you love me might be in them, and I in them. And one thing we have found is that the name of the Most High actually is in the Hebrew Gospels, Yahuwah. And they were taken out of the Greeks, of the Greek text, whatever reason, for whatever reason, they didn't like it. And, you know, of course, we know that his name has been replaced at least 7,000 times in the Old Testament. And this is just in canon, uh, replaced with the Lord. That's not even all the extra biblical books which replace the name of the Most High with the Lord. So, so far, I just wanted to make a note that I have counted the name of the Most High used five times. In the first two chapters, I counted four in the first, one in the second. And so here we have Yahusha uh, once again, making the name of his father known to us. And unfortunately, it gets ripped out of the, of the Greek text. But um, Pamela, Pam says uh, kidneys were seen as seer of emotions. So that's what she says. And that's all I have tonight i am done with these chapters back to you rob um were you done or did you have anything to add 
Yeah, I think I'm done for uh, that. We can go on to Q&A afterwards, but I'm done for what I wanted to share on these. So thank you. Michael, speak now forever. Hold your peace. Nope, that was it. Looking forward to the questions. All right, so we are opening the floor to the rest of you. Thank you for being so patient through here. And I am glad that we decided to take the, the videos off. Of course, we're having tech Wi-Fi issues, but we have 26 people in this room. Those are like one to two people that would not be here otherwise. So I take back everything I said about um, closing the doors and making people stand outside in the outer darkness. But did anyone have any extra observations? Uh, we could... You know, that this is, again, Revelation is a, <laughs> it's a conspirator's book. Like, this is, we're opening this, the floor up here. Um, you know, nothing is too taboo to talk about. Any questions, comments, concerns, observations? I mean, Lee, I know you have things you probably want to say. He's been scribbling things away this whole time. Apologies if that was distracting. Didn't mean to be. No, I'm saying that there's, you know, just if you wanted to, you know, have any comments or anything like that, feel free to talk. I think Rona was going to say something. Um, yeah, I have, um, I have a few comments. So, hi everyone, this was just so amazing uh, listening to you. Um, I have the Hebrew manuscript in front of me only for the first two chapters. So I was reading it in Hebrew at the same time that you were reading it in English and I had a couple of uh, comments um, that I wanted to share with you. So... Chapter 1, uh, verse 18, um, the word, um, let me get the translation, the, the Hebrew in front of me, so one moment. Um, so, one moment, I have so many things open here. Okay, so one eighteen. So I am looking for it right now. Okay, so he says, um, I think you mentioned the word keys, um, that Yeshua say I have the, the keys to um, um, Sheol and um, to, to life and Sheol. Um, and um, the word that, that in Hebrew is so weird. He's not saying keys, he's saying masmerim, which is nails. So as soon as I saw the word nails, I was just thinking about him being nailed to the cross. Um so it's it's completely a different word. It cannot even be um in Hebrew it has no relationship to keys. So that's kind of uh, caught my attention. Rona, um, can, I, can I clarify what you just said? You said nails and yeah. a i l s. Okay. Uh, Thank you. And 
yeah n-a-i-l-s nails like yeah like he was nailed to the cross like almost like he was holding the nails since he also mentioned a couple of times here that he was dead and now he's alive again he's alive again you know um so that kind of caught my attention and then um on uh, verse 7 uh, you mentioned um, the, the word pierce, and um, the word that was used in Hebrew is so way um, stronger than pierce. It, it, it means, um, like, pierce could be, you know, when you're pierced with a, a knife, but this one is, like, completely being cut out, um, um almost like slaughtered you know like it, it's a it's a much um stronger word than the word pierce um and it reminded me of um uh, genesis 15 when god is asking uh, abram um to take a few animals you know and cut them out and and then he he had the the covenant um, with Abraham. Um, so the word that was used when Abraham was cutting the animal, like slicing them, is close to the word that is being used here on um, verse seven. That was the second thing, um, and then the chapter two, verse nine. Um, it, it you know. All along, because I've I've been reading um, the New Testament in English, I've always thought that the word that was used was synagogue. But actually, the word that is used is it's not quite synagogue; it's council. So, just FYI, that the the word in Hebrew actually means council. So it's like council of Satan. So I think it's even worse than a synagogue because the synagogue is like following a council is like uh, kind of like um, like he has like a a group that is sitting with him and and um, I don't know they are part of maybe the the plot you know rather than just carrying the plot. Um, that was another thought. And then on um, chapter 2, verse 10, um, he's using the, in Hebrew, he's using the word Avadon. And Avadon is in, in Hebrew, in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, um, Avadon is another name for Satan. Okay. Um, and um, on chapter 2, verse 7, um, so unlike in Genesis, where in Genesis, they, they, you know, we actually see the word Gan Eden, which is Garden of Eden. Um, here, they, he didn't use the word Gan Eden. He, he said, Pardes Elohi, which means the divine orchard. So just I'm I'm I agree with that translation that it probably um, it's another way of of saying uh, uh, Garden of Eden, 
because there was an orchard and there was the tree of life, you know. But just FYI, they use the word Pardes Elohi. Um, and the last, the last um, thought that I had was about the Nicolaitans, um, that um, I've been doing a lot of research on it uh, also, like all of you. And um, my my personal conclusion is that if we take all of the different thoughts and um, about who the Nicolaitans the Nicolaitans are, they pretty much represented anyone teaching false doctrine. Um, and I think Second uh, Peter chapter two verse fifteen describes them the best. Um, so I, whenever I see Nicolaitans, I, I feel like we have so, so many churches right now in modern Christianity that are teaching false doctrine right now in America and are misleading so many people. And we saw even just uh, in the past 12 months with COVID and everything. So... Anyway, those were my thoughts, and thank you for um, allowing me to share them. Yeah, thank you for sharing all that. That was really good. Yes, thank you. So, Patrick, Patrick of Tartaria asked, uh, he, he was asking me, I believe you, uh, Noel, said earlier that people assume you believe all of Revelation happened in 70 AD. I think you said you didn't believe that all of Revelation happened, but only parts. Um, and he asked me, he's asking me for clarification. And, you know, this is one of those, those things that I'm trying to let the evidence lead my conclusions. And so two years ago, I, I wrote an article. It was, you know, it wasn't one of my better ones. It was just kind of released where I was looking at, uh, you know, 70 AD, the, the year we know is 70 AD, and saying that I, I think Revelation happened. Um, it, it, well, it was more pointed towards that Yahushua Yuh fulfilled his words in 70 AD, which I believe he did. Um, I don't, I don't believe that. Um, I don't see the evidence that the kingdom, the millennial kingdom, was ushered in in 70 AD. Here's why. If it was ushered in in 70 AD, then there was nobody to tell us about it. Like, we can't use uh, Josephus as any kind of evidence because he wouldn't have been there to tell us about it, if that makes any sense. Um, what I do believe is that when he says that he is coming swiftly in the clouds, um, I, 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 I think we need to maybe perhaps look at the possibility that he's not He's not saying that all of Revelation is going to be fulfilled when he comes in the clouds. Uh, when I see him saying he's coming swiftly in the clouds, I pointed that out tonight with the quote in Matthew and Mark, where he's saying, he's telling the, um, the, the priests that he's coming, they're going to see him coming in the clouds, and that's a sign of judgment. If it, the idea of Yahuwah, like Isaiah talks about Yahuwah going, coming in the clouds over Egypt. He uses the same terminology, and it's, it's a sign of judgment. That he's coming to judge Egypt, and so when he came in the clouds, 
over Jerusalem, and I believe that happened in 66 to 70 AD. He came in judgment, and, and Jerusalem fell. Uh, that generation, it was a wicked generation. They had rejected him, and th that generation fell. Um, so, I, I, you know, if, if you guys refer to my 7,000-year timeline, and I'm just trying to put this together the best I can using Scripture, right? I wasn't there. I can't, I can't speak for it other than what scripture tells me and then putting it together other pieces of evidence. And it seems to me that, that an age of apostasy followed for another so many years, say five to 700 years, and that then the kingdom was ushered in. Um, so I don't believe Babylon fell in 70 AD, if that makes sense. We're going to be, as we read the revelation, we're going to be see the fall of uh, the beast, the, the, uh, of Babylon and all those kind of things. And, I think that that happened, you know, quickly later, but not, you know, not that it hasn't happened yet. It happened, but not to that generation. That's, that's my conclusion. Now, if someone could show me wrong that it all happened and went down in 70 AD, what I tend to find with the, you know, I'll say it, the preterist position is that um, where, where they, they try to use official history to describe it, like, uh, like um, Emperor, um, um, what's his name? Not Neo. What's his name? <laughs> Emperor Neo. Uh, Nero. <laughs> yeah, Nero. Yeah. I think it's. I, I blame the Matrix Resurrections that came just came out, which I have not seen, by the way. But uh, I was thinking of the Matrix or some Emperor Nero, uh, Neo, but Nero. That you know, like they they try to put things on him, like he saw these ghosts and that. Oh, that's the resurrection. And it's like, no, no, no. First, first of all, if Whatever happened in 70 AD, it has, it's been scrubbed. Like, there's been a lot that has been scrubbed. But, but I think that we can find some evidence to show that something big happened that year. Anyways, just to answer that, hopefully that wasn't confusing for you. Um, but, and, you know, maybe Michael can, uh, can show me scriptures to why the Millennial Kingdom had to happen and started in 70 AD. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying to, I'm trying to go where the, the the evidence is taking me uh, scripturally. So I'm sorry, and I felt like Robbie, you were going to say something when I was answering Patrick of Tartaria's um, question. No, nothing specific. I was just uh, clarifying Nero. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, they, a lot of people, they think that because they come to me all the time, and they think that I'm advocating that 70 AD was the start of the Millennial Kingdom. And I'm trying to show that that's actually not possible uh, based on the evidence that we use to show that it's, you know, when it started. Like, you guys get it, right? Like, if the, if the Millennial Kingdom started in 70 AD, then Josephus would not be writing afterwards uh, his book. Like, he wouldn't. Like, that, it would all be a piece of fiction at that point, and then we couldn't even use it for anything. Um, even for propaganda purposes, because it's just, it's made up. So... Um, I believe that there had to have been uh, an age of apostasy, you know, and then the church fathers and all the things that we that see build up in there. Uh, Lee, there is fiction in his work. Absolutely, I, I don't, I don't hold. I mean, Joseph, look, Josephus was the guy who he was apparently was it up in Galilee. He was leading the 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 Jewish army revolt against. Um, was it um was it Titus or uh for space uh it wasn't Nero was dead by that point and um Vespian was it Vespian and uh as you can see I'm a little rusty I need to refer my own article and basically everyone in his army dies 
he goes into a cave and even his own generals and everything else, they all die in the cave. He's the only one that emerges from this cave and he becomes the emperor's right hand man and his propagandist. And you're just like, that's, that's not how it really works. <laughs> that's not how, I mean, I'm not saying that didn't happen, but that's, that is a very, um, uh, naive, uh, understanding of how the world actually works. And I, I'm like, no, like absolutely not. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't yep. trust, I don't trust anything that Josephus says. He's a propagandist working for, I call him, you know, a Roman whore. He's, he's working for the Romans to tell a Roman version of Jewish history. And, um, so everything right. he says, I, I have to take with a, with a huge grain of salt. You know what I found interesting about Josephus, because I, I read uh, Josephus a few months back before I found Torah, just trying to get some context and background on Hebrew customs and culture, etc. And he went all through the, um, the history of the Jewish people, or the Hebrews, rather, um, you know, writing to whatever emperor he was writing it all out for. And I found it very, very interesting that he completely left out any mention whatsoever of the um, the idol worship at Mount Sinai, the golden calf. They, he didn't mention that whatsoever, but, you know, he, he pretty well covered, I, I don't know, he may have missed some other things, but it was it was shockingly and, and glaringly absent. Well, at least never... he included a really interesting tale, fictional tale, that's chock full of allegory right after the account about Yeshua with the whole wife of Saturninus sneaking into the temple to do it with the God. <laughs> it, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, with, I'm with Noel. You got to take anything from Josephus with a grain, grain of salt. I totally did not read any of that. I was actually looking for reference to you, to Yahusha or Jesus as I knew him. Then, well, the section where he does make mention of Messiah was supposedly a forgery. Oh, well, but I guess I didn't miss anything. I just, I, I find the story immediately after in Antiquities that he, he tells that it's, it's strictly symbolic and allegorical, but obviously a lot of people think that he's the pre premier Jewish historian of his era, and they think everything from his wars in Antiquities is 100% literal, trustworthy, historical fact. And I think that's dangerous, but that's just my personal opinion. I, I mean, he told some really embarrassing things. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he, he told about Joseph, his brothers taking him and throwing him in a pit and putting him in captivity, but he totally just omitted the whole golden calf, and I wonder why. So, uh, James asked, yeah, well, okay, before I get to James' question, yeah, that I have never heard that before, that he omitted the golden calf. I guess I have to go refer to that. That's a really good point, that you picked that up, and um, that is a really strange thing to omit, since that's one of the biggest moments in, you know, Israeli his, uh, the history of the children of Israel um, there at Mount Sinai. So that's, that's really interesting. So uh, James asked, he said, Noel, didn't you mention a couple weeks back your intent to go deeper into 78 AD time period in the form of a paper? Um, perhaps I m misheard you. You did not mishear me. And I did mention that a couple weeks back. And uh, so I, I started to kind of dust off an old paper and work on it. 
and the problem I'm having is that it's like I do want to give a presentation, but I, I'm kind of holding off on it. I know a lot of people want to hear on it, but I, I want to get more information because there's just the, the the fact is is that it's a little underwhelming. There's not a lot there. I could take you. I could take you through now. I mean, I could take you through all the the passages where Yahusha says that he is going to fulfill such and such in that generation. You know, for his disciples, right? And so my conclusion is that something big happened in the year that we know is 7080. They knew it was a very different year. Um, that I believe that Yahusha did come in the clouds. I believe the nations saw him. Um, and, um, and the problem is, again, like I have people, uh, you know, like criticizing me for that. They're going, like, what, what do you mean, Noel? Like he came back, like he came back and then he left and he came back again and then he left and he's coming back again. And, and, and it's and, like they think I have my wires crossed here. And it's like, well, maybe we're misrepresenting what it means to come in the clouds. Because as I had already mentioned, Yahuwah came in the clouds uh, over Egypt, and according to Isaiah, and it's a it's a form of judgment. Uh, coming, my understanding of coming in the clouds is not a good thing. No, I mean if you're considered the righteous, that's a good thing. But it's 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 a coming to judge. Um, and so I think something huge did go down in 78 AD. I don't know if we'll ever get to the bottom of it because I think that has been completely scrubbed from history. I think it's a huge conspiracy. Um, and I, I think that the, uh, the, the leaders of that day, uh, particularly in uh, Judah, were like, oh, crap, that's the guy we crucified. And there he is with the armies of heaven. Um, and they, they, you know, they were probably unrepentant, just like it's, you know, just like it's Sodom. Uh, they, you know, they're, they're being surrounded by the Romans and they didn't repent and they went down uh, in the fight. Uh, but I think that he came for the people uh, he said he would come for his disciples i believe he came for them and that's just what i'm going with because he said it and i believe it and multiple times um but i don't believe uh, you know it's interesting that we were reading tonight and i failed to mention it let's see if i could pull it up here in uh, revelation chapter one uh give me a second here it says that he, um, and maybe you guys know where it is. Uh, oh, now I'm in chapter two. That's the wrong chapter. I'm trying to find chapter one here. Ah, well, it says that he is, uh, John says that Yahusha is ruling the earth as king and priest. So he's ruling the earth at that time. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know how, I don't, I don't know how all that works with, with, I don't want to be like a preterist and say it was a spiritual kingdom. But in a way, it was at that time, and I believe the physical kingdom was ushered in as promised. Right? There's always a spiritual and physical component, um, and um, that's kind of where I'm at. So that the only reason I delayed giving the presentation is because I want more information that I'm just not getting. It, it's really not that complicated. Like people, I think, like with this mudflow thing, everyone, you know, we begin our research. We go to 70 AD. That's where we start. But unfortunately, a lot of people are stuck there. They get stuck at 70 AD. And they don't. They don't progress past that. Like, there's more to history than 70 AD. It does go beyond that. Um, I'm convinced of that. Like, history shows me that there was more to it than just 70 AD. Um, hopefully, that was helpful. So, when I when I do get a presentation done, I will. I will. You know, it might be 15 minutes. I don't know. Uh, it might be 15, 20 minutes. It might be an hour. I don't know. Super helpful. Thank you. I, I was asking because um, I, I had thought that you were 
I thought you mentioned doing it on the week that you ended up doing the, the Titanic and you thought that I misheard you. So I was just curious. And then last night, um, we had a gal over for Shabbat and she was asking questions regarding all this because she had kind of heard whisperings that we were studying this and she was, you know, um, she doesn't, she doesn't see the mud floods, but she sees um, like the art and the buildings and she was bringing up, you know, he said that this generation is going to see him returning. And I just find it interesting because I was, I was bringing up some things that you had put in some previous papers regarding what we do have regarding what was happening in that time period, how they did see some things happening. And I said, you know, we don't, we don't put our full trust and faith in any historian, but we take and glean what we have and we kind of compare it with what we know and we let the Ruach guide us. And so I, I just thank you for sharing what you just did. That was, that was really enlightening. Thanks. Isn't it interesting how, um, I believe that um, I believe that this is I'm going down the right trail. Um, you know, my conclusions are obviously leading the millennial kingdom to happen, as you guys know. But I am finding it interesting that people all over from different denominations and all everywhere, they're all like just coming upon this, and they're coming to me. And you, you guys see my my YouTube accounts. I'm I'm not like you know <laughs> I'm not I'm not getting that many. Uh, and there's other people out there talking about, I'm not the only one, but there's people all over that are just coming to this realization. Like, I think the Malio kingdom happened. And that tells me that this is like, this is going to be a forest fire. Like this is, this is going to be the next thing. That's going to be an unstoppable force. That is, it's going to be upsetting a lot of people and bringing a lot of other people, some like who surrender to it, some serious joy, uh, to realize, uh, that the Bible is more true. Um, that we ever literally, you know, imagined before, and um, so that's exciting to you know hear that that uh, people are you know talking to you about that and stuff. And... She was here for seven hours. She ended up staying the night because there was ice on the road and she couldn't leave. So, um, well, okay. So <laughs> Patrick Tartier says off topic uh, from Thursday. Uh, because we were talking about the Titanic on Thursday. And, um, you know, I'm trying on Thursdays to talk more specifically about mudflood things. And I know Titanic wasn't like, a lot of people think that's not mudflood. For me, it's the same generations of people, same overall overall reaching PSYOP and all that kind of stuff. And he asked, maybe the Millennial Kingdom Saints travel back and forth from Paradise uh, on large ships like the Titanic. And, uh, and that's, that's an interesting thought. I mean, just so everyone knows that I did that one on, um, what was it called? Um, well, there was the, 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 uh, there's a Testament of Solomon, but also how oh, there was another one. And I talked about the, uh, the millennial kingdom, um, priest, how they, how they, oh yeah, the, a tale of two Jerusalems, how they did, they went, they travel back and forth and to paradise. Uh, and that's, that, that's, I don't know. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. The, the big ships that's because I think Dave asked, did they like roll out the big ships later? I, I haven't the faintest clue. I don't know. You know, I kind of had a question last Thursday when you were talking about the Titanic of, you know, I'm not sure, you know, you, you think they just dumped something in the lake possibly 
But, you know, if the Titanic actually existed and you wanted to disappear it, what better place to disappear it than all those extra lands that the moon map is showing us? <laughs> they do have maybe somewhere they could disappear things to. That's true. That's true. However, the way these work is it's kind of like um, uh, I'm coming more and more to the knowledge that if if you had uh, who was it that that um, Michio Chachu, whatever the the physicist, I had mentioned it's kind of a running joke, but I kind of think it's legit. Maybe that Bruce Lee actually became him. That actually, what they do is they 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 kill someone off, they remove someone, they roll them back out of someone else, and it, that's all part of the nature of deception. It only makes sense to me actually that they would, and it's almost like uh, right now when we get into the polygyny. Uh, not polygyny, uh, androgyny uh, uh, discussion. And you're looking at like these um, actresses who are actually men. They were born men, but they became women. And then there are these women actresses that we're seeing some like, like uh, Bruce Jenner or the uh, Wachowski brothers who did the matrix, who then become, became the Wachowski sisters. And, there's debate out there of what if the Wachowski sisters were originally born women, they became men, and now they're having sex changes back to women again. And I don't want to necessarily go down that, that trail, but is it, well, the same thing was with Bruce Jenner. Like, what if Bruce Jenner um, uh, was actually born a woman, became a man, and then has had the sex change back to woman again? It gets really trippy. But within the nature of deception is that they would have rolled the Titanic back out. Uh, I'm convinced to, as another ship, it became another ship. And I think we could find that answer really, you know, that maybe they just did a little cosmetics on stuff. Um, I think we could find that answer. If we looked, there was so many other um, um, liners around the same time. And many people, you know, think that Titanic eventually it was uh, disassembled during the first world war uh, for parts and other things like that, but that it was used as a liner for at least another uh, several years, so yeah, but they could have they could have rolled it out somewhere else to the earth. I just think that as part of the nature of deception is that you you put it back in front in front of people's face and just keep lying and lying and lying and lying about it over and over and over again. Well, and Josh brings up that there was two ships, and you know it's hard to tell. Was it two ships or yeah? So doubling is two ships. Who knows? Yeah, so what he's referring to is the theory that uh, that they actually sank Olympia and uh, the sister ship, and that it was so. What's sitting on the bottom of the ocean is that ship, and Titanic really became the other ship. And that, that's what I thought it was all along. I thought it was insurance fraud. Yeah, that's the big that's the big theory out there, and then yeah, they also the. Two birds with one stone. That the Federal Reserve they'll throw that in there. But what I'm saying, you know, as as you guys recall, is my what I'm saying. And I know I'm I'm kind of alone on this. I don't expect everyone to take this view. But what I'm saying is that there is no ship at the bottom of the ocean. That's why I started talking about, like like you like, like we can go through the facts again. Like the fact that UNESCO guards it so that nobody can go down there and look at it. You know, you have to be like uh like uh, Buzz Aldrin or somebody like that to go down and look at it. That there is a, I don't know if this flew over people's heads, but there is a bacteria they discovered only at Titanic. It doesn't exist anywhere else in the world, but Titanic. And it is a super bacteria that will, in nine years' time, potentially eight years' time from now, completely destroy it. 
you know, but it didn't, it didn't destroy the little girl's shoes, right? Like, you know, just going through piece after piece after piece of evidence and showing that the photographs look fake to me, just like the moon landing. And, you know, all, just going through all that, I'm just, what I'm saying is that, or the fact that they actually had to move the Titanic's location by like almost 15 miles from its coordinates. By the way, where the rescue ships also followed those same coordinates and found, they had to move it. Why? Because other people have looked down there and it's not there. It's the same thing like with the um, the, the Apollo 11 moon landing site. People look with their um, telescopes and it's not there, right? And so NASA has to come up with the stories. Oh, well, it faded and it became the color of the moon. That's why you can't see it. Like, you know, lame, right? Um and so they just have to come up with these excuses. What I'm saying is that there is nothing at the bottom of the ocean. It's not there. The Titanic bacteria ate it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then, but then you see, but then I showed you where it says in the Wikipedia and others that for the Titanic movie, they began filming in 1995 when James Cameron physically went down and filmed the actual wreckage. And they said that, oh yeah, they built models for that movie. They built all sorts of filming models and they did CG stuff but not the wreckage. And then you see pictures with James Cameron with a huge model of a, of a, of a sunken Titanic. And it's like, well, who built that? Who built that? They, they say that they didn't build it for the movie, but somebody built that. So, you know, it just, you know, lies everywhere. And um, clearly, I mean, that model that he's standing with, like that looks like a legitimate model. You put that, you put that down in a lake or a pool or something like that. You film that, like you could, you could convince people of that easily. It's a, it's a Titanic hoax. Yep. <laughs> well, I can't believe we went from uh, Revelation to talking about Titanic tonight, but there it is. Or confidential councils to, to talking about Titanic. And, you know, thanks again, um, everybody, for coming in tonight. And I'm always just amazed week after week that people show up and uh, listen to us talk. And just thank you again. I'm not going to be on late tonight. I am moving again every month or so. We move to a new location. And I have to get up really early. And it's going to be a long day because we're moving very far across the country. And we'll be moving all throughout this next year. I like to keep my uh, – I probably shouldn't say this, but <laughs> – I like to. I'll call him Kevin, my FBI agent. I like to. I like to keep Kevin on his toes. Like you know, I, I don't like to announce where I'm going next. I, I make him look for me. So I don't know what rhymes with Titanic. Oh, sa Satanic, right? Yeah, Satanic. Well, well thanks for sharing thing anyway. Thanks for sharing Noel and Rob and uh Michael. It's yeah, thank you, Rob and Michael. Thank you, Rob and Michael, for coming on. And just an announcement tonight. And this is probably a good good place to uh to to end it tonight. And I think Thursday night I woke up on Friday morning and how many of you were still in the room talking? I woke up and it was like the conversation was still going 12 hours later. Um, there was, you don't have to out yourself, but there was a few of you in here. So, you know, if you guys want to uh, stay up tonight and talk, that's cool. I think I will bow out just so you guys know this next Thursday. And I'll, I'll 
I'm not sure how we're going to do it yet, but Zen Garcia has asked that about once every two months that I do a show with him. And, and we might even do a bit more um, afterwards. And he, you know, he, towards Rob Skiba's, uh, and they were doing a lot of shows together. They did a whole bunch, and now he's got a lot to fill in. So I'll be talking with Zen about probably Serpent Seed and uh, the feminine Ruach and all sorts of other fun things from my la latest book, The Angel She Desired. Um, I might even talk about the uh, the only begotten daughter of Elohim. We'll see if if uh, that's too taboo for Zen. I don't know. We'll find out. But um, anyways, uh, we might do like a um, like a, a Discord. We'll have like a Discord party over here, and you guys can um, I don't know all talk or listen, and or we'll share the videos. We do it, but we'll still be meeting Thursday. Just giving you guys the game plan. And then the next Thursday that I come in, it'll be back to mud flooding again and talking about that and the, the Millennial Kingdom and all that. So with that, I will be signing out because I have to get up early. Um, thank you, everybody, for coming. Shalom. And we'll, I'll see you around. Good night. Shalom. Shabbat shalom, everyone.